Hello, friends, and welcome back to Scream 101. This is Brennan talking on the computer's crappy internal microphone, just to give you a quick message. Um, we have decided, for many reasons, to shut down our Patreon for the time being. It was just getting a little stressful to create so much extra content for so few people. No pressure. But... I thought I, um, instead of shutting it down completely, I would just share this super massive mega episode with everybody. Um, if you check in the show notes, it'll tell you exactly at what time code each of our Patreon episodes is located, because I'm just going to smash them all together in this super big mega episode. There are spoilers for the movies we did 10-minute reviews on, so be careful what you listen to. But I do hope you check it out and enjoy it, and, you know, just see what you've been missing over the past couple months. Thank you so much for listening, and here you go. I know who you are. You're the attorney whose family they killed. And hello, and welcome to our first 10-minute review. It's gonna, the 10 minutes is just going to be how slow I was talking during that first <laughs> sentence. Um, but it's of Sicario, Day of the Soldado. You mean Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado? No, I don't. There's, There's no, no two? 2 in it. Oh. They don't want people to know that this is a sequel. Because Sicario is a movie that should never have gotten a sequel. Because that's not the type of movie that does. It's kind of magical that it did, but it shouldn't have um, for many reasons. But here's the plot really quick. Sorry, this is very unstructured, um, and we're still kind of figuring out exactly what we're doing with this. But yes. here's the plot. FBI agent Matt Graver calls on mysterious operative Alejandro Gillick. That's his last name? Gillick? When, <laughs> when, <laughs> when Mexican drug cartels start to smuggle terrorists across the U.S. border... The war escalates even further when Alejandro kidnaps a top kingpin's daughter to deliberately increase the tensions. When the young girl is seen as collateral damage, the two men will determine her fate as they question everything that they are fighting for. So, Sergio, as a super fan of Sicario, who loves it so much, he made me watch it for the second time so we could review it on this podcast, for which it is not horary enough to discuss. How did you feel about this movie? I did not like it as much as the first um okay <laughs> trying to trying to gauge your ratings if we were giving it a rating out of 10 where would you land a, a five okay so like just really middle of the road because it was so different you're comparing apples and oranges you're comparing pride and prejudice to mansfield park and brennan uh, <laughs> <laughs> a young woman's love story is different than the tale of a woman who is in young slavery. and in love? It's a, a, a woman in slavery, let me tell you. You're so right. Um, but in a way, weren't all women in the Regency period enslaved by the society that surrounded them? True. So Sicario too. <laughs> well, you can say that it's all about cartels. Aren't both about cartels? That's like, true. Although yeah. This one was barely about cartels. No, it was about a cartels. Like, daughters. Yeah. Yeah, eventually. Um, but there was a weird... That terrorist subplot that we mentioned oh, yeah. that went nowhere. I mean, it was kind of the, it's just, it, th this movie was too plotty. It was all over the place. Uh -huh. um, I wouldn't describe the movie as too plotty. I would say it was too kind of grand and ambitious that a lot of moving elements. Yeah. And it was a lot bigger. The one thing that I really liked about the first Sicario was that it was more intimate, I guess. Like it was smaller. Like all the characters seem real and you can see how they related to one another. With these I struggled to see the relationship between I guess the characters that opened in the movie and how we left off. 
Yeah, and and um, especially we are forced to spend time with Josh Brolin and Benicio del Toro instead of Emily Blunt, mm-hmm. and both of those characters are the uh, linchpins of the kind of amoral world that Emily Blunt is thrown into. Mm-hmm. And without her, you're just stuck with amoral misery and like empty shells of masculine energy, and it's mm-hmm. not interesting. Uh-huh. And to be fair to them, and I'm only being fair to them because somebody has to be, not because I think it necessarily <laughs> works, uh, you do see Benicio Del Toro's character have some moral point of view. Uh, he is like, uh, do we spoil this? Do we not spoil oh, this? Um, yeah, we, we can spoil it. Uh, we'll just give a warning. Spoilers. Okay. Um, the movie picks up when he has to kidnap this cartel leader's daughter picks up like 30 minutes in Ugh. because he wants to cause a war between the cartels or whatever yes so he kidnaps her and long story short they have to like get rid of the girl and get rid of her by like finishing her yes uh, destroying her because she is evident she is a witness to the u.s invading mexico essentially basically um and so he can't do that he's like i'm not going to do that he doesn't really give us a reason why we just know that he isn't well, going to. We we know basically that she reminds him of his daughter that he uh-huh. lost and yada yada. Like, yeah, that's all like implied and not very well, I would say. No, um, not really. He certainly gets to see her humanity. Um, and I guess simply by talking to someone, they become more human as a result. But uh, in, the, in, in the first movie, if you ever saw it, one of the most impactful scenes is when uh, Benicio del Toro confronts the man responsible for his daughter's and daughter's and wife's death, uh, and what he does in really quick succession is he uh, ends that man's di- wife and son's lives in front of him. Yeah, and you see like the sheer just horror uh, that is Jimmy Smith, wasn't it? Who played that character? I have no idea. Um, uh, like at that re- at that thing, and like. I was like, wow, this really is a movie that is great about revenge, you know? To me, it was a tale of revenge. Uh, and it was just a really good kind of like bloodlusty scene. Uh, but that kind of intimacy was, that nuance, that subtlety was just gone here. Yeah, and uh, that whole plot point was in- immediately undermined by mm-hmm. this movie by saying like, oh, he still wants revenge because mm-hmm. that guy was just working for another guy. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, he got mm-hmm. what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, and I say all that to, <laughs> um, okay. and to go back to my original point, like I went on a rant there and lost track. Um, that kind of bloodlust that Benicio del Toro like showed, you don't really expect him to sympathize with the daughter of a kingpin when he was so ready to off the wife and his much younger sons. Uh, yes, in the end of the first movie, this girl's a teenager and she uh-huh. kind of sucks. Uh-huh. She's mean and she hurts people. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, this just does a lot to undermine his character that as established and kind of convert him into like a rah, rah, like you're rooting for him. Indiana Jones esque like swashbuckler. He can survive anything. Mm -hmm. It, it, it's just, there is an incredibly pulled punch at one point where, um, he's shot in the head and survives because the shot just hit his jaw. And then like, suddenly he's fine. Mm -hmm. And, it, it it's like Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which we'll review on one of these as well, where Chris Pratt gets uh, sedated, but then as soon as he needs to run, he just can again. Mm-hmm. It's like he just shakes off being shot in the face. Like his jaw should be hanging off. There is some gross stuff with that. Yeah, it's really gross. Yeah, but he, I was so happy it wasn't brain matter. 
yeah. not that they could he could have survived that <laughs> had it happened um but it seemed for a split second that it could have been oozing brain matter that would have been cool anyway different perspectives um yeah, I, I just think it totally doesn't get what made the original Sicario good, and I don't uh-huh. even really like the original Sicario. I think it's a really bleak, brutal movie that I don't respond to. But watching this movie made me almost love the original Sicario because uh-huh. I was remembering all the elements of that movie that are not present here. Uh-huh. Um, like when the helicopters are flying over the Mexican desert, I'm like, oh, I remember in the first movie... Uh, when they had made this exact same scene really beautiful and awesome to look at, and this mm-hmm. was just boring. Mm-hmm. And then there was a scene, there was like some sort of car scene, and I was like remembering the scene of tension where they're waiting in traffic at the border and something's about to go down, and you're mm-hmm. not sure exactly what. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that was a really good scene. Mm-hmm. And just all of these things just reminded me of how good Sicario yeah. was and not this movie. Uh-huh. Sicario had two things that I think worked for it. Well, one thing that worked for it, one thing that worked, but I didn't like. Okay. Um, the first thing was that it had tension. It had so much tension. I remember when I first saw the movie in theaters, I was like on the edge of my seat. I was like clenching my butt cheeks. I was like, uh-huh. dear God, Well, that what was is just your happen? Jane Fonda workout. Table. Yeah, I was doing my kegels. Yeah. Um, the second thing was, and Brennan really liked this more than I did, was the movie exhibited this kind of it portrayed in Mexico as like a war torn country and that the citizens were so used to violence that they were unaffected by people being shot in a car next to them. That scene that Brennan talked about that takes place on the Mexican border, uh, like long lines heading into the U S mm-hmm. uh, like this one car is just shot up and people are just like looking at it like, Oh, that's just too bad for them. <laughs> I hope this line moves. And I mean, there is something to be said by how long those lines are and how long you wait in them. <laughs> that, you're, you're, that you're disaffected to anything. Yeah, that you lose your humanity. <laughs> As somebody who's waited, like, I think three to four hours in one line uh. once. Um, uh, yeah, you think the lines to get into Disneyland are long. Just wait till you get see the lines to get into America. Um, whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I lost what I was going to say. But I didn't respond to that kind of... You, Apathy? You felt that Mexico was misrep- misrepresented. Uh-huh. Which isn't fair of me because I'm not there day in, day out. I don't necessarily know what the population feels. Certainly in a country where politicians are murdered semi-regularly, <laughs> um, you can say that it has some issues. And we all know the drug war has not been good to my Mexico, but uh, it hurt. And I guess I couldn't blind myself to that. Or I couldn't remove my bias from it to enjoy that scene. You talk about it. No. Uh, wait, you couldn't enjoy the freeway scene? No. Because um, I, I think when we were talking about the movie directly afterwards, mm-hmm. the scene you were mentioning was um, from the original Sicario where the uh, there's like a kid's soccer game going mm-hmm. on and there's just gunshots going off uh-huh. in the background and people kind of listen, but they don't, they're not freaking out about it. Uh-huh. They're like, oh, this is just life. Uh-huh. But that kind of scene was in the movie multiple times. Yeah, no, but that's the one we were specifically talking about. Uh-huh. I, I didn't really have a defense queued up. For, I mean, I don't have a defense queued up for any of it. Um, I, I've never been to Mexico. I, I mm-hmm. don't know whether any representation would be accurate or not. Uh-huh. Um, I completely understand your perspective. But I, I think it's the movie is effective in delivering its message, message mm-hmm. of what it, I agree with that. Of the tone it's trying to create, yeah. whether or not it is accurate to real life. Uh-huh. 
is what I was saying. Uh-huh. And I think, to be fair to the movie, um, it's probably more close to reality than what my like uh, view is of my Mexico. And that's that. That's that uh, little point. Um, uh, one thing that I liked about this movie, uh, or one thing that I think that I liked about this movie, was the oh the story about the weird little kid. Oh the 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 side story with the um, the kid from Texas who was like becoming a immigrant runner or whatever. Yeah, I, I liked thought- that. I thought you didn't. Uh, I liked that upon reflection. Okay, great. If only because it means we get a third. Yeah. Uh, do you want a third movie after this? Yes. Okay. I liked it. Fine. I I, I did like that sub story. Th- that was a very uh, Sicario. Actually, like we're gonna, or like Sicario Valentine's Day. Like here's just a random character who will eventually intersect with our plot. Uh huh. <laughs> um. Yeah. His uh transition from like suburban teen to like kind of gangster drug lord guy was interest interesting and the mm-hmm. mo- i had the most enjoyable part of that movie mm-hmm. like if something was actually happening it was kind of goodfellas-esque being drawn into a crime ring mm-hmm. half against your will half not that part was interesting the rest of the movie not so much because mm-hmm. we, we get to watch josh brolin torture a guy and it's like wow this is fun um it, it's miserable Mm-hmm. It just really grinds your face in how miserable it is. And this director is not Denis Villeneuve. And this cinematographer is not Roger Deakins. And it's just, it's not the beautiful thing that Sicario was uh-huh. in addition to being bleak. Uh-huh. Well, we were never going to get a sequel like that because, as you mentioned earlier, that movie was not designed to have sequels. Yeah. W- and we should not have gotten one because it was also just really boring. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, I'm not sure how to end these episodes. Should we give like a number or like a thumbs up or a thumbs um, down? Should they see it? I guess is how we should end it. Like, okay. Should you, should you see it? Should in you send it? Theaters? Should you read it out in Redbox? Should you stream it on Netflix? Should you go see it in theaters? Okay. Um, I would say rent it on Redbox. I would say, um, just look up the IMDb profile of one of the actors whose name I will look up right now. Um, cause he has a very beautiful face. But if you just look at who, pic- um, the guy who plays the cousin of the kid in Texas. Oh, he's okay. Um, he's like, um, oh shoot, who is the name of the guy? Jay Hernandez. Yeah, Jay Hernandez. Mm. Mm, Jay Hernandez. Um, my future husband. <laughs> um, yeah, his name is uh, David Castaneda, and he is great. And that's all. That's everything that I remember positively about the movie. So if you just look at his headshot, I'm sure you'll get the same effect. Uh-huh. Don't watch the Cario Day of the Soldado yeah. with its unnecessarily complicated title. Um, I know when you're making a sequel to a movie, you do need to include the original title in there so people will know it's a sequel. Mm-hmm. But either call it Sicario 2 or Soldado. It can't be all complicated. And what day is it? <laughs> this isn't anything. Okay. A point on that. One of the dumbest things in this movie was establishing that they were soldiers. Oh, yeah, they kept they kept saying the word Sicario and the word Soldado a whole bunch, uh-huh. so many times. It was dumb. It was unnecessary. It was just, again, without nuance and subtlety, which is what the first one really excelled in. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, my... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. This is a real Jurassic World fallen kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then my advice to you about this movie, catch it on Redbox, you know? 
rent it, uh, or if you're too cheap to do that, borrow a friend's red box rental. <laughs> sure. Or, or do whatever the kids do. But make sure to return it on time so they don't incur any fees. Be a good friend. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I would say give some money to the movie because I enjoyed it. And I think if you like, if you're like Matt, you'll, uh, yeah, this is for Matt specifically. Matt, you watch it. Okay. Um, cause you'll love it. Cause Matt likes those kinds of movies, right? Um, I don't know. He likes that one movie with the, like the white savage people. Oh, Bone Tomahawk. Yeah. And this, I feel is similar to that in spirit. I in guess spirit so. Only. Or like. In a certain tonal way. Uh-huh. Where, like, men can be complex and stuff. Okay. And to be fair, men can be complex. I love Brad's status. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> but... That is that is a 60-minute a review of this, how much I hated Brad's status. <laughs> this movie has me expecting uh, Benicio Del Toro and uh, Brad... Not Brad, sorry. Um, ben Josh Stiller. Brolin. <laughs> Josh Brolin to be a... Uh, uh, sympathetic characters at which point we've seen none of that from them at all we've seen josh brolin be like this just no morals like i'm gonna torture you and that's fine the cia gives me this authority and the u.s government doesn't give a shit so fuck y'all bitches um yeah it's just too much time spent wallowing with that character who is mm -hmm. not pleasant to spend time with Mm -hmm. and not the one we should have followed hell Mm -hmm. i would take in a movie about daniel kaluuya who played emily blunt's friend in sicario (laughs) I forgot about him in that. Right? He's very forgettable. Yeah, Dennis Villeneuve discovered, you know, Daniel Kaluuya before yeah. he happened. Good Get for out. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we hope you enjoyed this 17-minute review. Yeah. Let us know what we can do to improve these. Yeah. What it is you want to hear from us. Uh, Please do. These we are want like to a make work these in as progress. valuable as possible. Yeah, Go ahead. I mean, people are paying for this, and we want to make sure it's worth their time. Uh-huh. And, well, money. <laughs> yeah. It's literally money. It's literally money. So let us know. We'll be only too happy to improve. Yeah. Um, but hey, if, you... it, if it's longer than 10, that's just like more and more is better, right? Yeah, I assume so. This is Trump's America. <laughs> One can only... Whatever. Okay. Sorry, I shouldn't have... Well, Sicario does kind of, you know, tie in with that whole... Oh, yeah, that movie was made for Trump audiences. Yeah, it was. So... <laughs> Tell us what we can do better. Um, thank you. And thank you so much for um, doing the Patreon. You're all beautiful people. All two or three of you. One of you. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I, Shannon. I don't, I don't thank have. Thank you, Shannon. Shannon will not know this is happening. I'll tell her. And uh-huh. then she'll be like, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, who, whoever's listening, whoever's out there, thank you so much. Um, have a beautiful hour. We still should close it off the way we always do. Stay gold. I say that. Oh, no. What do I say? Good luck on your journey. Stay gold, everybody. Bye. Bye. How many can you save? Eleven species. Blue is the last of her kind. You'll never capture her. We thought you might know someone who could help. Three years after the destruction of the Jurassic World theme park, Owen Grady and Claire Deering return to the island of Isla Nubar? Isla Nubar? Doesn't matter. Okay. Nublar. So that that was wrong also. Um, To save the remaining dinosaurs from a volcano that's about to erupt, they soon encounter terrifying new breeds of gigantic dinosaurs while uncovering a conspiracy that threatens the entire planet. Ooh, what's the conspiracy? Um, I mean, they're selling the dinosaurs to rich Russians, basically. Um, And or just any rich person. Really any rich person. Yeah. And Toby Jones is there. 
Who the hell is he? He's the very tiny man. Oh, yeah. Um, well, he was in uh, one of them. He was in Atomic Blonde. Uh-huh. He was in some other stuff, probably. I don't think that was his debut film. Okay. So, Brendan, why are we here today? Uh, that's a great question. We're doing our 10-minute review of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Okay. So, Brendan. I decided to start with the plot just to see how that goes. How did it go? It went okay. Not great. It's a little confusing. I mispronounced an island. I just really threw you in there. I was going to see how it worked. Yeah, I, I think I did fine. I swam. I didn't sink. That's good. So, Brennan, what were your thoughts immediately after watching Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom? Well, I think that there's, I mean, as I mentioned in my 10-word review in the episode on Deep Blue Sea 2, um, I do think the only person who showed up to work is J.A. Bayona, who was the director, um, mm-hmm. who also directed The Orphanage. But he also, he only did great on one thing. And that was crafting these really majestic, beautiful images that really captured the like Steven Spielberg awe of Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like his job was also to direct actors, and I don't think he did a great job at that. Are you kidding me? There was one time when I was like, "Wow, Bryce Dallas Howard is going to take home the act, uh, take home." Oh. The Academy Award. Uh huh. Tell me why. Tell me why. Because I remember. she sent a line that was so emphatic, so filled with emotion, that oh, it's going to oh. go down in the history of great one liners. We need to put a spoiler warning. We're going to spoil this movie. Yeah. This really important scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hit me with it. So Bryce Dallas Howard is. What are they doing? They're trying to escape from some kind of dinosaur. Um. There's like. They're in some sort of facility, and there's lava dripping from the ceiling, and there's a dinosaur, because, you know, lots need to happen. Yeah. So, in order to... Life gets complicated. To escape, they find this tunnel that is like... They're like Mario. They have to go up a pipe to get oh, yeah. to be free from this dinosaur. Uh-huh. Oh, but, they had to do that in Deep Blue Sea, too, also. And then the guy gets pulled out, and he has intestines. I wish that happened. Okay. So, like I was saying, Bryce Dallas Howard is trying to make her way up this pipe, but she is Making vertically... Making way up this pipe. She is vertically, vertically challenged is what she is. Yeah, she, she can't reach the ladder because it's like a fire escape type. Ladder. So what she does is she screams to her friend Franklin, chair! Yeah. She demands to get a chair with all of the acting prowess and energy of that lady in Gone with the Wind who's like, oh, never be hungry again. Like she's like, I'm going to be in every Oscar reel ever made from now on yeah every cell in her body is willing that chair and is scraping at the top of its lungs for that chair and she gets the chair so to her credit it works it did work but it's so she hilarious really grounded that moment in her weird hysteria it's so hilarious um so otherwise i don't know what i was where i started off with this really that's the most important thing in the movie is the chair um but yeah, as Brennan was saying, Jay Bayega was the only one who showed up to work. J. A. Bayona. J. A. Bay. What? A- wow, I was really off. <laughs> Jay Bayega, like John Boyega. <laughs> I guess that's who I thought. So, uh, maybe he did show up to work, and I was like, I'm so happy I got on the different franchise. Yeah, probably. This. Um, because this movie was really, it was zany. It was just crazy. Yeah. Um, you know what? I honestly, I did like, because there was a whole thing about like, this island's going to explode. There's a volcano. And that all happened really fast. Yeah. They're off that island by the first hour. Uh-huh. And I was actually into that because mm-hmm. I was not looking forward to that being the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it turns into a 
like mad science haunted house movie in Northern California. Yeah. So we felt represented. A little bit, but we're Southern Californians. Or come November, we will be just Californians. What? Because there's like a ballot initiative to separate California into three separate states. So, okay. So there wouldn't be a Southern California. It would just be California. No, there would be a Northern California, Southern California, and California. But we'd be in Southern California? We'd be in California? Yeah. Where's Southern California? I think it's more like rural inland. I think so. That makes no sense. So it would be above us? It would be like to the side. Think like Riverside. That's not South. It's what I think they did. Also, whatever. Take Riverside. I don't need it. Okay. Anyway. Um, what are we talking about? <laughs> you're talking about the movie and how okay it was. One thing that I will give it is that a lot of the Jurassic World movies begin with kind of the same principle or the same outline, which is it's a controlled dinosaur setting. Mm-hmm. Even if the island is already destroyed, like the facility is already destroyed, it's still controlled. Like they go in and it's slow. There's no dinosaurs. They are seemingly like fine. Until a dinosaur comes in and ruins everything. Yeah. This one... And it is an island, so you're trapped. You're yeah. contained. Uh-huh. This one kind of upends that with the... Like, from the moment they get there, um, they know they're operating under a timeline in which the island is going to explode. Um, yep. As or, this happens. As the or volcano erupts, whatever. Um, and so that's an interesting thing. Brennan, discuss. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, they, they do do a lot to expand the universe of Jurassic World... Quite literally, I mean, the end is a, a sequel tag that implies that dinosaurs are just going to be taking over the world, basically. Like, we're going to have to co- this. This truly will become a planet of apes and or dinosaurs. Um, yeah. And our prime apes. Honestly, I am so down to watch the sequel that this movie promises. Mm-hmm. But that movie is not a Jurassic Park movie. So I'm, it's a Dinotopia film. Yeah, or like T- Terra Nova, that show that didn't go anywhere. Do you remember that? No. Turok, Dinosaur Hunter, any other stuff? Okay. No, but like... it. Did my one reference of Dinotopia work? I don't, I don't really know what that is. It's like the sitcom Dinosaurs. I'm the baby. Gotta love me. No, it's not what that is. Dinosaurs is a show about a, like, a fun-loving dinosaur family just trying to make ends meet. Yeah, and there's a baby and you have to love him. Okay. It is mandatory. <laughs> um, but no, it's implied that you're going to have to get along with the dinosaurs in this new world. You know, you're going to try and coexist, even though... Oh, my God. Go Sorry. Ahead. I totally just remember the reason why the dinosaurs are loose. And it's because there's a freaking little girl. Um, and we don't know who her mom is. And it turns out she is her mom. She's a clone of the mom. Mm-hmm. And then they're they're like, we got to let these dinosaurs die. And we can't let them escape from this poison gas because then they're going to take over the world. And the little girl's like, they're alive. Like me, I will let them out. Yeah. And it's like, look, lady, girl, child, Uh if you're looking at a big grizzly bear and you're like, that's alive, like me, I will let it free. It eats you. Uh That's what's going to happen. There are a number of people who would do just that. And those people are wrong. You think environmentalists like Greenpeace are wrong, Brennan? Are Are they trying to bring velociraptors onto this earth? If they could, they would, I'm sure. Probably. I don't mean to knock our friends at PETA and Greenpeace and all these people. Yeah. PETA and Katniss and Gale and all those people over there. I was just trying to present the other side. No, I know it. But the point of these movies isn't supposed to be dinosaurs are beautiful whales. It's supposed to be dinosaurs will heck you up. They yeah. will rip you to shreds and it's awesome. Yeah. 
the one point of the movies is espoused continuously by the same person in almost all of them. And that person is my favorite civil rights leader, Jeff Dr. Goldblum? Malcolm. Ugh. At least people were so disappointed he was only in one scene in that movie. And I'm like, what did you expect? In the trailer, it's him in a courtroom sitting in a chair. He's actually in front of Congress. Is that not a courtroom? No. I guess you're right. They're not judges. <laughs> Fair enough. Do I you mean, see them in robes? I mean, some of them are pretty judgy, if you ask me. But, um, okay, fine. He's in front of Congress. Yammering about, like, nuclear proliferation. It's like, thanks for giving us the weird theme to this movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, he probably would have worked in automation in there if he could. Um, I'm so glad, because they make him, they give him that really forced line in the trailer about how life finds a way, and they, like, lead yeah. him into that, and that was not in the movie. And I'm pretty glad for that, because mm-hmm. it was so lame. It's like, let, let, let's let let Jurassic Park be Jurassic Park. And not just give, like, Jeff Goldblum, they probably had him sit in that chair in front of a green screen and just say, like, clever girl. Or, like, just every line that's ever been said. Yeah. Like, nice cartwheel. Get to the RV. Just in case anyone remembers it. And they're like, we'll put it in the trailer. Okay. Anyway, did that make sense? It was a little bit crazy, but I was just letting, letting you run wild with that. Whatever. Um, so the movie. Yes, the film. It wasn't that good. No, it wasn't. Um, the one thing that I've seen by J.A. Bayega. Bayona. Bayona. God, I cannot get that name right. Um, is The Orphanage. Yes. So I think he does haunted house films excuse me haunted house Mm -hmm. films very well because that's all this film was by the end yeah it was essentially dinosaurs are ghosts in this haunted house and you must find a way to survive with these dinosaurs acting as ghosts in this haunted house yeah and that's kind of awesome um i love the image it's an image that they use on some of the posters of the dinosaur reaching over the little girl in bed which (laughs) she should not be there because there's literally a dinosaur chasing her upstairs and then she hides in the bed and it's like this is not how this works i know i know you're a child she's the dumbest child though um and she she's there's a line about how like she's the cleverest little girl we've ever met and i'm like i have no evidence toward this (laughs) but so she's hiding in bed and the dinosaur reaches its claw over her and it's very it's 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 a visual reference to nosferatu is it which yeah there were a bunch of references to i guess different movies in this movie i saw a bunch of references to the original jurassic park of course Mm -hmm. um yeah there's that and also um a lot of were dinosaurs in it Shout out to the original Jurassic yeah, Park and Jeff Goldblum. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, and there were a lot of like universal horror references and things like that, like the di- the evil genetically modified dinosaurs like howling in front of the moon at one point. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that that is a reference to Nosferatu. There's a part um, in Nosferatu where he's like uh, stalking up a staircase and his hand forms this claw that it casts a shadow on the wall as he's walking. Is it a staircase? No, I'm thinking doesn't matter Mm -hmm. um but it's the shadow of the claw on the wall Mm -hmm. um and that's kind of what they're evoking with that image and that's not something i expected to see in a jurassic park movie so that's cool Mm -hmm. but also chris pratt just isn't cool he's not a like movie star his bank account would disagree (laughs) as would his imdb page no i know but but I really, really like him in Guardians of the Galaxy because that is a just douchier twist on um, his character from Parks and Rec. Yeah. Like, he's goofy, um, kind of clueless, but just, like, a more badass version of that. Yeah. But when he's just playing, like, 
a badass who can work with his hands, which is who he thinks he is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not interesting. It's just like watching a piece of a uh, Wonder Bread float around like in a puddle on mm-hmm. screen. There's nothing going on. Mm-hmm. And then we got Bryce Dallas Howard acting her eyelashes off, yeah. <laughs> screaming <laughs> in every direction. Uh-huh. We have to. We we didn't really mention or discuss this, but Bryce Dallas Howard is effectively a dinosaur rights activist. Oh, yeah. So she is the dinosaur equivalent of PETA in this movie. And it's not that I doubt her moral clarity uh, on this subject, um, but it's such a complete 180 from what her character was in the first film. Yes. Yeah. Because she she was working at the park. She was, like, fundamental to enslaving these dinosaurs. Yeah, she was a corporate, like, a corporatist or what do you, a corporate shill for Jurassic World. A stooge. She was responsible for creating the original dinosaur that ran the park amok. Yeah, the Indominus Rex. And then she's like, how could you create an Indominus Raptor? And it's like, uh-huh. well, you did the other one. So yeah. whoop-de-doo. Uh-huh. So it's a really weird change for her to take on as a character. Having said that, um, uh, she's still good. I like her. I, I, I do think she was trying very hard. I think she was trying maybe too hard, probably. Uh-huh. But I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Like... She was trying as much as the camera wanted her to try, and the camera had to focus on her quite a bit to make sure she wasn't wearing heels throughout the movie. Oh, my God. That was great. Yeah, every shot of Bryce Dallas Howard begins at the feet and then pans up. And no, I know what you're thinking. Quentin Tarantino didn't shoot this movie. (laughs) Um, No, it's to show her sensible footwear, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Because that, I I mean, I assume you know about the heels controversy if you're listening to this, but it is a whole thing. We've already. I feel like I could talk about this for so much longer, but it's already been fifteen minutes. So like, you ready to cut it? Cut it end? Cut it close? I don't know. Do you have any like final things that kind of bubbled to your mind about this? Um, nothing really final to say. I guess uh, if you're going to ask me my opinion on the movie, I would say it was barely okay what? in terms of Jurassic movies. To me, it ranks the lowest out of all of them. Out of all of them, even JP three. Even JP3. Even. Having said that, okay. it is also probably the one with the most unique plot line. Because at no point during any of the other movies do they make it, well, I guess the second one, Lost World, they make it to San Diego. Yeah, but uh, then they trap it and they bring it back and it's still like... Yeah. At no point are they like in a house uh, about to break free f- to the world and at no point is an exploding island happening. That was all new, so I give them props for that. Uh, but in terms of... I guess plot. I don't know if there was much of any. Yeah. You're expected to care about things really quickly. And I don't know if they established that. Yeah. And, and the, the, my closing thoughts also about the ending, like this is the kind of dumb sequel. That's so dumb. It forces every other sequel to also be dumb because as, as Jeff Goldblum says, you can't put it back in the box. Like, now dinosaurs are just out in the world, yeah. and that is the movie you're going to make. You no longer can make a movie about Laura Dern going to an island of dinosaurs. Yeah. Now it's just Laura Dern's in her condo, and there's a dinosaur outside, and uh-huh. that's a fundamentally different movie you're uh-huh. making. I would like to see a movie. A, that exact the, movie. <laughs> well, yeah. A movie where the original characters who worked so hard to contain these animals now have to live in a world where they exist freely. Yeah, no, like it could be a cool movie, but it's not a, It's not the same. It's not the same. And it is a different movie. It's, yeah. It's uh, The Dinosaurs meets Planet of the Apes. Yeah, honestly, I'm so much more down to watch that movie than I am, than I was to watch this one, yeah. probably. 
But yeah, it, it's just weird. It, it's like um, Cult of Chucky. Like, that had a sequel tag that it was like, I don't know what you can do with this. Like, we're kind of, like, changing the mythology in a weird way. Uh-huh. And sometimes that's good. Yeah. Okay, so would you recommend that people check it out in theaters or not do that? <sighs> streaming? Not at all? Well, it is the summer's biggest movie so far next to Avengers, isn't it? Um, probably it's, it, I mean, not domestically, but worldwide it's brushing up against a billion already. Yeah. So, I mean, if you feel the need to watch this movie in theaters, go ahead and do that. Um, I don't know how much I would recommend seeing it. Uh, I don't know if you like, if you have to pay a big amount of money to do, I don't know. I wouldn't pay to see it. No, we, we used movie pass yeah. and that was enough. Yeah. Yeah. Like if if it's a six dollar day, uh-huh. go see it. If you're a fan of the franchise, there's some really beautiful stuff in it. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? Here's my recommendation: do go see it in theaters because you know everybody loves to go to the movies and eat popcorn. But you know, pregame before, you know, take a couple shots of something of your favorite drink. If you're fancy, drink some wine before you go. Sure. Wash it down with some cheese and then more wine. Um, you're gonna wash the wine down with cheese and more wine. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. And then, because uh, wine and cheese go together, apparently. And then you like put the pop. Where does the popcorn come in? I don't know. You do this before you go to the theater. Okay. Um. Anyways, uh, just go and enjoy yourself because movies kind of silly and fun to make fun of. Yeah, we chair. were doing that chair. That we were screaming that at each other for several hours after yeah. the movie ended. It's how we say goodnight to each other now. <laughs> yeah, chair. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you on the flippity flop. Yes, you will. Change people's perceptions about superheroes, and Elastigirl is our best play. Better than me? <clears throat> go around the world, go around. Naps make the world go around. I am happy now. That's good. I'm very glad. I'm glad you're happy. Okay. Um. So here's the plot of Incredibles two. <laughs> Everyone's favorite family of superheroes is back in Incredibles two. I like how they had to qualify that. Not everybody's favorite family. Everyone's favorite family of superheroes. Mm-hmm. So who would be everyone's favorite family? The um, Adams family? Oh, I was going to say The Simpsons. That would be. Well, you were just saying that because we watched The Simpsons today. Yeah, because it's America's favorite family. Yeah. Followed by the Bundys. No, the Bundys can go fall off a bridge. Except no. for the hot ones, the kids. Okay. David Faustino and Christina Applegate? Yeah, they're fine. Okay. Al Bundy is an abusive prick and I hate him. No pig. I mean, that's me quoting him. That was really good. Yeah, uh, it was, I was like, "Whoa, is Al Bundy in the room right now?" Yeah, abusing Whoa, me. He became one half of Modern Family, so you're welcome. Yeah, I mean, without that, we wouldn't have had him going. Oh no, my son's Hispanic now. I don't know. Whatever, Brian. I haven't watched that show in a very long time. Okay, so The Incredibles, America's favorite superhero family. Yeah, um, but this time, Helen, voice of Holly Hunter, is in the <sighs> spotlight, leaving Bob, voice of Craig T. Nelson, <laughs> at home with Violet and Dash to navigate the day-to-day heroics of normal life. It's a tough transition for everyone, made tougher by the fact that the family is still unaware of baby Jack-Jack's emerging superpowers. When a new villain hatches a brilliant and dangerous plot, the family and Frozone, voice of Samuel L. Jackson, must find a way to work together again, which is easier said than done, even when they're all incredible. So, this family 
truly is incredible, aren't they? Yeah. I don't know what I'm saying. Um, what did you think of the movie? Did you like it? I liked it. What I really liked, or what really took me by surprise with this movie, was how much that superhero loving guy um, looks like Mayor Eric Garcetti. Um, the character played by Bob Odenkirk, who's like a fancy CEO guy who wants yeah. to fund superheroes again. Yeah. Take a look at Eric Garcetti on the internet and tell me that it doesn't look like the spitting image of him. Okay, so this is... The actual mayor, Eric Garcetti, right? Yeah. Because when people were talking about um, the Supreme Court and Merrick Garland, I thought they were saying Mayor Eric Garland, because oh. I'm so used to hearing Mayor Eric put together, and I just assumed that's what they were saying. No. He just has a funny name. He does look like Eric Garcetti. He does, doesn't he? He does. That's because Eric Garcetti has like movie star good looks. Um, I'm fine. Okay, he can put him on your hall pass. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So Incredibles two. Um, guess what? It's Mr. Mom, but with superpowers. And look, it's much better than I made it sound. But that really is the concept, and that was why I did not want to watch this movie. Yeah. <laughs> but it was really good, nevertheless. Um, do you remember what was your favorite part of this movie? Do you remember? We saw it a, a bit ago. My favorite part. I will forever remember is the spoiler alert, the showdown between Jack Jack and the raccoon. Yes. Um, Yeah, we're spoiling this movie. I should remember to put that at the beginning. But yeah, um, when Jack Jack's displaying his powers, it's in this really cute, adorable, like six minute fight sequence with a little raccoon. And the raccoon does not back down. No, raccoons raccoons are to throw down. Raccoons are badass. Yeah. And don't mess with them. You don't let me play with them, though. Yeah, because it'll tear you open. You don't have Jack-Jack powers. You can't turn into a flaming demon, baby. Uh-huh. Except when you're sleepy. I don't do that at all. Or hungry. Hungry, yeah. Yeah, Sleeping, hungry. Okay, I'm just, no, like, you just fall asleep. Slouch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, during this fight, at one point, Jack... Like, the raccoon and Jack-Jack are throwing down. Like, they do not give up. Both are relentless. At one point, the raccoon becomes trapped, and it's still ready, like trying to go after Jack. Uh-huh. Jack. Isn't and it trapped like in the strings of like one of those uh, pool chairs? Yeah, um, it's trapped. Anyways, um, and Jack Jack just automatically like, they eye each other, and then Jack Jack turns like into fire, and the raccoon's like, "Nope, I'm out." <laughs> yep, deuces, catch me later. That and was I really just, good. I erupted at that. It was it was too much for me. Jack Jack really is the ultimate parenting nightmare because he can walk through walls and turn into fire and teleport out of this dimension. And it's just so hard to keep him safe when he's constantly atomic sneezing like through the roof. Yeah. It's so good. Uh Um, What else is good? Um, The comedy. Yeah, it was a funny movie. Uh One thing that the movie... Well, the movie is essentially... The movie picks up right after the other one ends. Seconds. Yeah. Um, in the aftermath of what happens when uh, the Underminer like attacks the city. Yes. Um, so that took me by surprise because I was imagining that we were going to be living in a world where the Incredibles were like the norm. Uh-huh. There, it, there, it wouldn't have been taboo. Or it would have been 15 years later and it's just like Logan and Dash is wandering through, like just bleeding all the time. Yeah. Kind of like that. Um, but no, they picked up right after that, and so you kind of deal with the movie, like, them being superheroes in this world that doesn't want them still, which, I guess, is a little bit of a drag. Um, but one thing that I will say is, even though I haven't seen the movie in some time, the first movie in some time, the comedy that I remember from the first movie is still there. Yeah, and the, the same, like, 
60s retro futurism style yeah. where it's in an old style but it's still like futuristic and cool and kind of James Bond slinky uh-huh. um it, it it just really it sweeps you up and it's just like frothy summertime fun mm-hmm. and it does a thing that I I really liked Big Hero 6 for um it by creating a superhero story in an animated medium and actually um and like a big screen kind obviously animated superheroes have been around forever yeah um, See Batman. Who could forget Spider Men? Spider Men. You're making Can your point. He bend. No, he can't. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, but but like this kind of big budget animated feature for a superhero movie allows this incredible visual um, imagination to come to life in a way that live action just can't without looking yeah. really crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, just look at the new Fantastic Four movie or something. Um, I'm just thinking specifically about stretchy people, because uh-huh. um, that is a Cronenbergian nightmare in that movie. Mr. Fantastic's disgusting, um, but Elastigirl. There's a part where she's uh, Marge against the monorailing, and she's saving this monorail. Uh, that's the opposite of what happened in that Simpsons episode. Yeah, but I thought I'd drop a reference. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so she's saving this monorail has been uh, like hijacked by this evil, uh, scary mask. Mm-hmm. Um, called the screen slaver who can hypnotize people. Doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, I'm so happy you remember the name of that person because I already forgot. Yeah, no, it just I, I I found that mask really freaky. I really liked that design of that character. Um, but anyway, so um, she's riding her little Elastic Girl bike, and there's a part where she has to like stretch across a train tunnel and not you know get her head cut off or whatever, and so the bike cuts in half. And because she's stretchy, so one half of her is on one side of the tunnel with like one wheel, and the other half is in the back with the other wheel. Mm-hmm. And just the the capacity for imagination that went into that it was just like really cool and really exciting. Mm-hmm. And it just like it's a thrilling superhero blockbuster. Yeah, it's really fun and imaginative. Yeah, and cool. You have to say like um, I feel like lately uh i'm clearly generalizing with this or thinking of just negative things but pixar hasn't really been pixar in a while yeah um, i mean it, inside out was good what was the last movie that came out cars 3 yeah cars 3 they they, they just keep bouncing back and forth monsters like, you um, the, Brave, good dinosaur. the good dinosaur like these are movies that you know they're good enough like they yeah, are like good finding dory they are good anime yeah finding dory was great they are good animation films but they are not like what i grew up knowing pixar to be which was creating these entire worlds and like the rules with them yeah it's constantly groundbreaking yeah um and this is a nice kind of like throwback to that not that <laughs> the other movies were bad in any sense they just weren't astounding and i feel like this movie was astounding yeah it was and it's it's not like incredibles 2 does the same thing that even the first Incredibles did. It, uh-huh. It's not breaking new ground, which, I mean, it's a sequel. Uh-huh. Although Toy Story 3 and 2, like, those still broke new ground and, like, kind of pushed the envelope of what Pixar was doing. Definitely. Um, this movie, I don't know if it does that, but it's an incredibly satisfying movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a really fun watch. Mm-hmm. There's less subtext, mm-hmm. but there's so much text, and the text is great. <laughs> okay. Um... What else is there? I mean, even the obligatory sequel thing, like, of course they had to bring back Edna Mode mm-hmm. on that character who is, like, a standout. Everybody loves her. And her scene's great, too. Her scene was great. She's Honestly, so I'm waiting for her to get her own spinoff. See, that would be a mess. Like, that trailer for that Bumblebee movie? Who let that happen? Universal. 
Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I didn't need an answer to that question. Yeah. Um, what else? Who's your favorite Incredible? Incredible. Jack Jack. That's easy. That's yeah, easy. I like Violet. Invisible Girl. Violet's powers are cool. She's essentially Mrs. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. The Invisible Woman. Sue Storm. Yeah. Uh, because she can create force fields, and she also turns invisible. So her powers are cool. But Jack-Jack, it's just, I guess for so long in the movie, you're in on this secret with the baby that he uh-huh. has amazing powers that nobody is aware of. Yeah, he has all this untapped potential, this like, just raw power and energy and they just think he's this boring kid and that's really a metaphor for all the potential that we have as children like we're pretty amazing but our parents just think of us as these boring babies that need to be protected and you know what i'm a baby that can walk and chew gum much like jack jack i i wouldn't give jack jack gum he is still a baby don't do that he has no teeth um, um but i i know what you're saying yeah um yeah what else do i have to say about this movie I, I think there is a very predictable villain twist. Yeah. Although I didn't predict exactly how it went down. You saw one half of it. Yeah, it's like, yeah, these rich people that are offering to save superheroes are clearly evil. Uh-huh. And when they... Ex- they clearly have ulterior motives. Yeah. And when they catch the screen slaver, it's very clearly a hypnotized person who is not actually the screen slaver. And yeah. Like, you really should have figured this out long before. It was too early in the movie for it to actually be the person... Yeah, and also, like, you could see that there was, like, static inside the mask of the character, too. I didn't see that. Oh, okay. It, it was a little glimpse, but it was like, oh, he's hypnotized. But then Mrs. Incredible's like, oh, well, I did it. Mm-hmm. Peace out. Have a nice day. She was ready to take credit for it. She was like, I did it. No man helped me. Trust me. <laughs> I'm with me. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Um, honestly, the plot at the end reminded me of this gay YA superhero novel called The Hero. Because um, it's about um, all these superheroes that are kind of hypnotized, and the the people who aren't official superheroes but have powers are the ones who have to save the day, like the teens and the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, that sequence is good. It turns into speed to cruise control at one point, with where they're trying to stop a runaway cruise ship from hitting <laughs> the coast. <laughs> yeah, which is bizarre. Uh-huh. But um, what do you think of the like semi like the new characters? That, like Void, that like kind of hipstery girl who mm-hmm. can make little portals. I liked it. It reminded me of this new movie that's coming out that I'm looking forward to called The Darkest Minds. The Darkest Minds. <laughs> uh, okay. I'll, 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 I'll hold you to that. I'm going to play a clip from this when you refuse to watch it when it comes out. Okay. Um, just these crazy, zany characters, you know, this cast of oddities that really do look like weird people, uh-huh. uh, but they belong. And I liked them. Who The voice for Void was Sophia Bush. And there's something about her voice that really makes me like her. So, I don't know. Okay. I was a fan of them. Plus, sure. voice power was super cool. Yeah, that, that power was really cool. And another thing where they just, like, use the medium to their advantage. Like, there's a lot of really clever, fun stuff with yeah. her powers. Uh, sidebar. Sure. <laughs> Took me a minute to get that word. Sidebar. Um, one of the movies that I enjoyed in the past was X-Men. Uh, not Days of Future Past. First but, Class? It was the one after that. Uh, Apocalypse? The one before that. It was Days of Future Past. Yeah, Days of Future Past. Um, and there's Blink. Blink has the ability to like make portals and stuff and go through them. Okay. And that was Void's power. And it was very cool. And that's all I'm saying. Oh, okay. I don't um, know why I went down that rabbit hole, but I did. Well, that was really fun. Um, no, you're right. No, she, that character was good. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, the... Uh, 
I, we saw it a couple weeks ago, and I'm trying to just like plumb my memory for nuggets about this movie. Um, oh yes, the epilepsy warning on this movie is no joke, y'all. Yeah. Um, it's really intense. Um, I don't have epilepsy, but I have a photosensitivity, and so I mean, any harsh light situation is bad, but strobing is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were um, certain, I think there were three scenes that were one or two minutes a piece that I just couldn't watch. Mm-hmm. And apparently one of them, which was um, a fight in his like static room, um, like when she's like unmasking him or she thinks she is, you know, apparently I, I've heard multiple people say it's the best scene in the movie, which I could not tell you yes or no on that one. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess take my review with a grain of salt, but I really enjoyed it, ne- nevertheless. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that jumps to mind for you? Um, no, I think the characters, there's something about their voices that I feel is really good. You mean you're, you're like kind of lisping southern accents? I yeah. can't do it. I think the voice acting is great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just wanted to give Holly Hunter a shout out because I love her as Mrs. Incredible. She's my favorite voice actress in the Pixar franchise who is not in Ratatouille. Who's the one in Ratatouille? Um, Pat Oswalt is... Oh, you said actress, so I thought you meant the woman. Oh, no. But I was like, she doesn't really matter. Fine, actor. Okay, okay. She's my favorite voice actor. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. In a movie that isn't Ratatouille. Fair enough. Um, Yeah, again, I mean, these 10-minute reviews are 10 minutes in name only because we're again at 15 yeah, but we go on less, I know. It's just a less catchy title, you know? Uh-huh. Um, but I do, I mean, the whole point of how I sold you on getting to these bonus episodes was that they weren't going to be too long. So I think it's about time to wrap it up. Okay, cool. Um, would you suggest that people go see this movie? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Without like, hard, doubt, yes. Go see this movie in theaters while you can. I might go rewatch it. Like, get a ticket to go see, um, what's a terrible movie? Adrift or something? And then sneak <laughs> into The Incredibles. Because it's definitely worth watching. And it's definitely worth seeing on the big screen. Yeah, you're right, though. Adrift is still in theaters. So yeah. I wonder... If you've seen Adrift, text me. <laughs> Let me know if it's good. Yeah. I mean, it looked... It looked right. terrible. It, I... it looked like it had some nice visuals. Like like Sam Claflin? <laughs> yeah. Sam Claflin, shirtless, on a boat. Mm. Uh, dying. Uh, Beautiful. But no, I, I like can water. Take care of him. I like water movies where you're just like around water all the time. Yeah, that's why you like the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Where I was like, oh, that was pretty funny, and you were like, yes, Hawaii. Yeah, you're like, there was a movie happening. I was just looking at the ocean. What? It's a nice getaway. Like thinking, like, oh, this vacation seems so nice. Being lost with my lover at sea while we die. <laughs> yep, it's a real, uh, it's a real dead calm. Yeah. No kids to worry about. What? That is so many people's, like, you know, fantasy vacation. Being Being stranded on a boat. Being able to escape with your lover on a boat where you two are literally the only people in the world. And And Billy Zane shows up. And he has eyebrows. Is that in a drift or is that still dead calm? That's still dead calm. Okay. Well, don't spoil a drift for me because I plan on watching that. Do you? According to Movie Pass. Yeah, in a double feature with uh, Darkest Minds. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for the movie to get pulled like Alpha did. Did it get pulled or did we just, it just keeps not coming out. I don't know. I feel like it got pulled. Fair enough. That makes sense. It looks so bad. Anyways, Um, we need to wrap this up, homie. Bye. Good luck on your journey. We were supposed to say that last time, but we didn't. We were, but we did it. And stay gold, everybody. Bye. Bye.
leave her wings and blasters. So I take it you didn't have that tech available for me. No, I did. Game 101, you're listening to Sergio. <laughs> this is the Sergio Show. And now, for your co-host, Brennan. Here is the plot of the movie we're about to review in this spoilerific 10-minute review, which is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Scott, yeah, please forgive the 16-year-old girl screaming outside who, I think... My my current hypothesis is that she is receiving a car for her birthday, and she is very excited about it. Um, we're too lazy to actually confirm this. Well, doesn't she know we're trying to record? Like, come on. The big recording light outside our apartment is on. Yeah. <laughs> it says, world, shut up. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had one of those, honestly. World, shut up. And then everybody would listen. Um, Scott Lang is grappling with the consequences of his choices as both a superhero and a father. Approached by Hope Van Dyne and Dr. Hank Pym. Do you think he's sad that she took her mother's maiden name and not his name? I don't know. Do you think he's related to Katie Lang? Probably. That's his secret older daughter. Her and Evangeline Lilly. Um, who'd have thought that Katie Lang had the better hair of two sisters? <laughs> um, <laughs> Lang must once again... Oh, wait, no. Scott Lang is Ant-Man. Yeah. Oh, never mind. I got confused. That's why I was like, wow, you really think Paul Rudd's that old, huh? I got I, got I know he ages up. like fine wine, but come on now. Lang must once again don the Ant-Man suit and fight alongside the Wasp. The urgent mission soon leads to secret revelations from the past as the dynamic duo finds itself in an epic battle against a powerful new enemy. Um. Anyway, the Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um. It is a... Follow like what this is like two months after the Avengers Infinity War, mm-hmm. in which spoilers, shit then went down. <laughs> yeah, it did. I mean, everybody knows what happened in Infinity War. Yeah. Anyway, this All movie we are is dust in the wind. Basically, yeah. Um, what are you doing with my phone? I was looking up Katie Lang. Okay, great. Um, she has an Instagram. Does she now? We yeah. should follow it. I mean, anyway. you do now. Oh great, thank you so much. Um, yeah, so this is, this takes place like in the I guess a couple months before the events of Avengers: Infinity War. Um, Ant Man is at the end, at, like the end of his house arrest, but in order to save Michelle Pfeiffer from the quantum realm where she's lived for twenty five years, because why not? Mm-hmm. Um, he has to help out his his super cool friends, um, but you know, house arrest. It's whatever. It, the plot is just, it is a video game. It is, in order to get object A, we need to acquire object B. But in order to do that, we need to trade object C with this guy that's sitting in the corner of the Pokemon Center. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like so many steps to everything in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, what did you think? What a transition that was. That was I twisted you on me there. Um, <laughs> I liked my it. my Shyamalan twist. I really liked it. Um, I think that the movie was exactly what a summer film should be mm-hmm. it should be easy breezy fun um it should have a great cast it should have excellent chemistry between those cast members it should be funny and it should have paul rudd and michael peña but more importantly michael peña <laughs> of course yeah i mean paul michael... rudd not needed i mean he... paul rudd not needed paul rudd is pretty great paul rudd not needed you've seen the trailer for ideal home right exactly you know we it, needs, all love paul rudd. it needs more michael peña that movie does? We would be watching Ideal Home now if it had Michael Peña. Well, we decided to watch Sensei instead, and I feel like that was a mistake. That's as close as I can get to Michael Peña is Miguel and Hel Silvestre. Oh. Are you saying Michael Peña is a sex god? Because Miguel and Hel Silvestre is objectively the most attractive human being on the planet. 
We've just argued about this before, but it's as close as I can get. Who do you think is the most attractive person in the entire world? Um, I think his co-star. Alfonso Herrera? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Because I am more interested in Alfonso Herrera most of the time, but I still think Miguel and Hell is like the... I think he's probably more hotter, yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, so um, we watched This took Ant-Man. a turn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we watched Ant-Man and the Wasp. So Michael Pena, I mean, he definitely reprises his role as the strongest cast member in the movie, but he has a close second in the form of Randall Park. Um, Randall Park is my boy. Um, I've been advocating for him for a very long time. Ever since he met him. Yes. This is my only name-dropping story, um, which is that um, before Randall Park landed fresh off the boat and thus became too good for this earth and (sighs) not working on web series. I was a PA on a web series that he was in. Um, and he was leaving and I, he was looking for his shoes. And in my eagerness to help him find his shoes, I ran straight into a screen door and slashed my nose open. So not only did I not find the shoes, I also started gushing blood in front of him and he was very nice about it, but that's all I remember. And I, <laughs> I still have a little scar on my nose from that event mm-hmm. and I actually saw him a couple months later and I showed him the scar and he was, Unimpressed. <laughs> um, but anyway, he's he's a super nice guy, and he's mm-hmm. incredibly funny. Um, most people would know him from either Fresh Off the Boat or The Interview, um, where he played Kim Jong-un. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. He was also really good in uh, that Christmas movie. The Night Before? The Night Before. Yes. Where but, he was like, show me your happy elf face. Yes. <laughs> oh, he's doing the happy elf face. It's yeah. very good. Um, I do an excellent JGL. For the fans. Oh, yeah. You look exactly like it. If you guys ever want to see it, just let me know. I'll give you my little... Should I take a picture for the Patreon? No. Okay. Um, So, basically, um, Randall Park is great. And I'm used to him getting the treatment that he did in the night before, which is he gets one scene. He's very funny, but he's just like a random guy. Uh He's in Neighbors as like a guidance... Not a guidance counselor, but like he's at a job fair Uh working for like AT&T or something. And Uh he has one scene and he's very funny. But in this one, he's very funny in multiple scenes. And it's wonderful. Um, He plays this kind of straight-laced FBI guy who's just a little bit awkward. And the... Really out to get Ant-Man... Yeah, he he's 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 one of the many villains in this movie. This is the Batman Returns of Ant-Man movies. There's like so many villains going on. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, he's he's the one who like he's he's genuinely a nice guy. He just is on the side of the law and Ant-Man kind of isn't. Mm-hmm. Um but there's a really great scene in the very end where it's kind of awkward and he's not sure whether basically they're almost about to go on a date accidentally because of how awkward they are. Mm-hmm. And I love that scene so much. And Randall Park knocks it out of the park. Pun intended. Okay. Because I said park. You said park? Yeah. Like he knocks it out of the park. Randall park. Oh, I get it. I got yeah, it. That's got good. It. That's good. I got there. You got there. Um, what What other, like what's your favorite scene in the movie? What'd you think? My favorite scene in the movie? That's hard because there's so many and they're all so equal. And they're sceniness. Yeah. They're, they're um, all scenes. They were all written down. Um, Something that just comes to mind I don't know why. It's when, um, uh, mm, uh, what's his name? Paul Rudd's character has been switched out. Ant-Man. Uh-huh. Ant-Man has been switched out for an ant. Uh, yes. Because they need like a 
corpse or whatever, a human, a body. They need a body. No, they, they need someone to replicate his activities under house arrest because uh-huh. the ant wears his ankle bracelet. Uh-huh. It is a giant ant, by the it's way. It's a giant ant, and it's so funny. And then Michael Peña sees the ant, and he's like, Scott, is that you? <laughs> and, Which, given what he's been through, I'd believe that yeah, he was an ant. It's not out of the realm of possibilities that he became an ant. Yeah, it really isn't. He's mm-hmm. literally Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. So I found that to be very funny. Okay. I don't know if that's my favorite scene, but it's one of the many. Yeah, and there there are some solid action sequences that have fun with how they can make random objects bigger and smaller. Uh-huh. Um, there's a great one in a kitchen and also the one where they have a, a shrinking and growing van that's like knocking cars down Lombard Street. Uh-huh. Another great scene is when he's in the school and he can't control his costume's <laughs> ability to get bigger and smaller and uh-huh. then he's just stuck at the stuck at the size of a toddler. That was and great. So then he has to impersonate like a I don't know what is it a fifth grader at this middle school or whatever. Yeah, or yeah, he's he's playing a little kid and he's like running around with his sleeves flapping on this sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. It's really cute. Um, yeah, um, it, it's like it's a fun, totally forgettable popcorn movie in general. Um, is there something that you didn't like about it? That I didn't like about it? Um, I don't think so. Uh, maybe the closing sequence that we got, the ending sequence. The closing. end credits? Yeah. That were a waste of time? Yeah. Um, but for the most part, I don't think so. I liked everything. Um, one thing I would have enjoyed more was exploring Michelle Piper's new abilities. That oh, yeah. That give her the ability to, like, heal. She's like a quantum goddess. But but not, she can only do it once, because then they have to go collect quantum energy or whatever to mm-hmm. help. I don't know. Oh, yeah, and they're helping Ghost, who is one of the many villains, and she can, like, phase through objects because her body is quantumified and constantly, like, exploding. Yeah. Um, oh, there is one thing that I disliked now that you mentioned sure. quantum exploding. Oh, yeah. I remember... I was really, really angry with the amount of science jargon and unnecessary words that were just thrown about in this movie. Like, we're quantum retrograding now. We are seismologizing yeah. the circuits. Yeah, if you reverse a defibrillator in the original transducer, you could totally do this. And Sergio's like, this is nothing. It's just, it's made up words. Your audience knows that these are made up words. We're already along for the ride, okay? We're watching a movie about a man who become, can become the size of an ant. And then the size of a skyscraper. Like, we don't need to be told that these words mean things. We know that they mean things. <laughs> yeah, it's about ants. It's not about real science. It's not, this is not a hard science fiction story. Yeah, so that just annoyed me because it was just unrelenting. It was just constant. And I was like, okay, just say you're trying to get part A for the machine. You don't got to tell me you're trying to get the maximizing agent of defibrillation or whatever. You're right. It, it, it It's a lot. Um, for me, I think the weakest part is, um, I mean, they obviously don't give Michelle Pfeiffer a lot to do. Um, I did like Ghost's outfit. I forgot to mention that. Um, it's a really creepy, like, white version of the Ant-Man mask. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I think the part that I thought was the weakest is actually a part that a lot of people really liked, um, which is when Ant-Man is channeling Michelle Pfeiffer and, like, talking to Hank and Hope, like, as the mom. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, which there are some great moments, like lots of loving stares and face touching. That was really good. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, Paul Rudd plays a woman as if he's never spoken to a woman before in his life. It's Mm -hmm. like a third grader trying to impersonate a girl Mm -hmm. and it's like really high pitched and kind of swishy. And it's not like, it's, it's just so, it's just a weird caricature. And Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was very good, Mm -hmm. even though the rest of his performance is great. I agree with you on that. That scene was a little off-putting for me. Um, I was able to like just brush it aside because I was like, eh, 
you know, he there needs to be something. Uh, like, they can't make his hair grow out instantly or um, no. superimpose her onto him to prove to us that it is Michelle Pfeiffer. So they needed something, and I guess that weird, campy, uh, reductive performance was what they needed. So I was like, ah, I'm willing to go along with it. Yeah, where it's like, oh, he's clearly a woman. Mm-hmm. Might as well be painting his nails. I don't know. It, it, it's just not... It just didn't do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, they did fix Evangeline Lilly's hair in this movie. Mm-hmm. But there is a sequence early on in the prologue where it's supposed to be chronologically like kind of during the beginning of... Or like in during the timeline of the original Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. Where she has her terrible bowl cut wig, which I completely forgot about. And this movie s- saw fit to remind me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's this really serious thing about how Michelle Pfeiffer got lost in the quantum zone and all this crap that nobody cares about. And Michael Douglas is all sad. And then Michelle Pfeiffer's like, tell my daughter I love her. And then she gets real tiny. Um, <laughs> but then it cuts to Evangeline Lilly listening to this story in that awful wig. And I just, I was like, look, this scene wasn't great to begin with, but the drama is really undercut by how terrible her hair is. Mm-hmm. I laughed for like five minutes through the entire opening credits at how awful it was so bad Mm -hmm. it was like scarlett johansson in ghost in the shell um from the 80s i don't know it's (laughs) terrible i it it was it brought me a lot of joy though and i am glad they fixed it Mm -hmm. like that was a better fix than bryce dallas howard's shoes in jurassic world fallen kingdom honestly i'm like thank you for doing this for us Mm -hmm. you saved us yeah um like the original movie the, the humor's on point yes and everyone in the cast serves a purpose one of my favorite scenes in the movie was a scene that was set up like uh, several scenes beforehand. Um, it was when they were introducing the ghost character and like, who is she? Who could she be? Uh-huh. And um, like, it's a room full of a bunch of mixed matched, mixed, mixed matched characters. Like, it's a grab bag of just characters who really don't even necessarily belong to one another. Like, they hang out with different groups. Sure. Um, and one of them is this Russian uh, who's saying it's Rumbaba or something. The Baba Yaga. The Baba Yaga. And then, like, the music changes and everybody yeah. pays him attention, including, like, some very serious criminals who would have no reason to be, like, why are we giving this man the time yeah. of day? He's talking about the Bombaya or whatever. Baba Yaga. She's an incredibly famous, like, folktale legend. Okay. The Baba Yaga. Um, and then You're many... not white enough to know about the Baba Yaga. Do it's you, fine. Did you know about the Baba Yaga beforehand? Yeah. Oh, I did not know. I mean, I don't know, like, a lot of details, but it's like, like the Chupacabra. Uh-huh. <laughs> or... Bigfoot, but like she like, sucks off goats. I mean, that's maybe. what the chupacabra does. She, okay, or she's like uh, literally his name is Goat Sucker. Uh, yeah, I know you're right, uh, but like or like 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 a Krampus or like a La Llorona. She's like uh-huh, La Llorona. Uh-huh. Um. Anyways, um. And then scenes later, uh, Ghost appears in the same room with the Russian guy. He's like <gasps> the Baba Yaga. And yeah, it's, it's so funny. That was really good. Mm-hmm. I did like the tinkling like Eastern European music they played behind him as mm-hmm. everyone started to like zone in on what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, you're right. That was a wonderful scene, and I feel like everybody did get a scene to kind of showcase what they were working mm-hmm. with, except Evangeline Lilly. Her character is boring as sin. So she plays the serious daughter. You know, maybe she'll be a main character in the new Avengers movie. Oh, I hope she's not. Of literally of the 800 characters in the Marvel universe, she's the one I least want to see again. Literally ever. What about Thanos? I I don't care about Thanos, but I'd see him again. Okay. 
It's been a long day <laughs> without you, my friend. Okay, so Brennan, yes. Um, uh, what would you tell the fans of this podcast, this, uh-huh. the Patreonics? Yes. Uh, if they should see this movie, yes. Should they wait? What should they do? Um, I would say red box it. I would say go see it. Oh, really? I would say go see it. I guess. I mean, yeah, because it's 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 a summer frothy fun. Movie. Mm-hmm. That's fair, mm-hmm. but. If you're, if you're not super invested in the Marvel Universe, you don't need to see this to get what's going to happen in the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really fill in any gaps that you need. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a fun diversion. Mm-hmm. And that's great. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're not like, if you don't care that much, you can skip it. Mm-hmm. Or just wait till it's on Redbox. And it will be on Redbox before the next one happens because we're finally getting a break between Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. It's like February, April, July. And now we get to wait till next February. <laughs> For Captain Marvel. Yes. Um, so I would say go watch it in theaters, um, if only for the amazing cinematography that is my beloved city of San Francisco. It is, yeah, I mean, they actually do go on location occasionally, which is great. Yeah, you see Lombard Street, you see the wharf. Yeah, like it's a real tourist video of a movie. Mm-hmm. And I love movies that showcase a be- the beauty of a city. And there yeah, is. It's, it's like you got to go on Lombard Street, which you refused to do when we visited San Francisco. Okay, he'll scare me. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, whatever. Uh, San Francisco is one of the most beautiful cities in California, which is arguably the most beautiful state. And I can say that because that's true. <laughs> okay, you're right. Um, so, yeah. So, come for the Ant Man's Day for San Francisco. You do like movies that are vacation videos. Yeah. I get to go someplace and see a storyline playthrough. Count me in. Sergio's ideal movie would be just going to an air-conditioned theater and watching someone's vacation slides. It would not be. It has to be like a movie. Some okay. Someone's like home videos of yeah. going to Hawaii. Okay, I'm not going to sit through like a still picture. Okay, fair enough. All right. Um, thank you so much for tuning in, our beautiful, lovely Patreons. And until next time, good luck on your journey. Stay gold, everybody. Patreonics. Yes. So, the topic of today's video is being yourself. Being yourself can be hard. And it's like, aren't I always being myself? And yeah, for sure. But being yourself is like not changing yourself to impress someone else. So, Sergio, we're here to talk about eighth grade. Are you, are you just... Did we introduce ourselves? It's Patreon. They know who we are. I'm the Great Pretender. Okay. We're sticking with that. Pretending Great. that I'm doing well. I'm Brennan. My need is such. Okay. I pretend too you much. You love that song for I no play reason. Too mu- it's a great song. I mean. You douchebag. Sure. Okay. Um, I guess by the Platters' newest album. Yeah. From like what? 1966? Yes. Sergio, I constantly worry that the people who live, um, who, are, who are our neighbors, when they listen to the music you listen to, they'll assume you're an 84-year-old woman. Well, I'm gonna be a hit woman. Okay, like a like an assassin. Yes, I mean hip. Oh, I heard a hit woman. No hip. <laughs> okay, great. I'm hippity hop. Um, so yeah, so okay, I'm Sergio, and here we're here today to review a new movie, Brennan. What is that movie? It's called Eighth Grade. It's, it's called uh, Eighth Grade. Bo Burnham's directorial debut. Go Bo. Um, I'm warning you right now, this entire episode is going to be an argument over whether or not this movie is similar to Lady Bird. It really doesn't need to be. No one is asking us to compare it to Lady Bird. That was our entire 40-minute walk home from watching 8th grade. Yeah. Because we didn't compare 
the other movie to anything. Well, I mean, we compared it to we Spy. It to Spy, but only little, a little bit. No, I'm just saying. Eighth grade is has a similar thing to Ladybird. It's a little slice of life story about one segment of time in a very transitional period of a young girl's life. I'm gonna let Brennan have that, and then just thank you, and then just be like, it's completely different. It's a completely different story, um, but it's a good story nonetheless. Yes. No. Look, I, I do not seek to diminish eighth grade, but it's similar to Lady Bird, and I liked Lady Bird more, so I feel like I was kind of ruined for it a tiny, tiny bit, but I still really enjoyed it. Okay. Again. So what's, what? Let, let's move on. What's it yes. about? What is eighth grade about? Eighth grade is a story about a girl, Elsie Fisher. Yeah. Is the actress. Um, her name is something. Jenica. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, you keep going, and I'll look up her name. Abigail or something? Kayla. It's Kayla. Kayla. Um, it came to Kayla me. Bouchard. Um, no, just Kayla. <laughs> uh, and so Kayla is in eighth grade. It's in her final week of eighth grade. She's getting uh-huh. ready for high school. And she's a little disappointed with the fact that she doesn't have a lot to show for her time in middle school. Uh, she's sad that she doesn't have the friends that she thought she'd have. She's mm-hmm. sad that she isn't as popular as other people, that she doesn't have a boyfriend. It's really about her forging her own identity. And yeah, and, and realizing she doesn't necessarily need those things, and she needs to go about a different way of finding them. Mm-hmm. Or that just, you know what, they'll happen in their own time, and she really doesn't need to uh, hold herself to the standard that she thought she was going to have. Yeah, and, and it's especially tough for her because she runs an advice blog on YouTube, mm-hmm. like giving other people advice on like how to put yourself out there and how to be confident, how to uh-huh. be yourself, which advice she cannot follow. Uh-huh. Um, I really did like that aspect to the movie. Um, it shows kind of this really weird revisionist way we have about telling our stories. Yeah, um, on social media, for sure. Yeah, because you would hear her live blogging on, not live, was it live blogging? No, it wasn't live, but she, it, it, you would hear her video. You would hear her video playing her in the video. background and saying, like, you know what? This is what you need to do. You need to be confident and to reach out to people and to do X, Y, Z and to put makeup on. And, and you would see her kind of, like, failing at these talks herself. Yeah, while the audio is playing. Uh-huh. So it shows, like, just how, I guess, we're all just trying to fake it till we make it, uh-huh. um, which I thought was really cool. Because yeah. at no point is that truer than in middle school. Unless Absolutely. you're one of the select few who is just lucky. Like the mean girl in this movie whose name is Kennedy, which is the perfect mean girl name. It is really true. That's perfect. You're right. Good job. Yeah. Um, I will say I think that um, device of the video being played was used like maybe once too often. I liked it. I thought it was just fine. No, I liked it too. But like there were certain scenes where it's like I actually want to watch this scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, also – like one visual metaphor that I really liked was like early on in the movie, um, she is I think maybe practicing kissing um, while staring at a picture of a boy. Like she's kissing her hand. I love this scene. Um, staring at a picture of Aiden, who is her crush, mm-hmm. who is a perfectly useless and generic thirteen-year-old boy, mm-hmm. like the perfect crush for a girl of that age. Mm-hmm. And her dad walks in. And she throws the phone across the room in a panic. And, and he's like, freak the fuck out. Yeah, she freaks out, but her, her screen shatters. Uh-huh. Um, and she's using her iPhone with a broken screen for the rest of the movie. And I, I just loved that consistency, and I loved how that kind of underscored the way that her life kind of falls apart, and she has to pick it back up together like over the course of that week. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, really That's a really that. good metaphor. Wow. Thank you. I mean, you're, Bo Burnham made it, but thank you for... You're welcome. No, I'm like good, good for pointing it out, and good for him for coming up with that. Uh-huh. Um, I just like the other little things that he did throughout the movie. Um, I thought he kind of 
I feel like he enter uh, Twix's like documentary style filmmaking uh-huh. with this movie. To me, it really did kind of read as a documentary style film, especially when Kayla was in front of the camera and like recording her YouTube thing. Like you uh-huh. did feel like she was an average middle schooler just doing her thing. But he includes snippets of just things that you would see in a middle school classroom. Uh, in middle school life, you would see kids uh, fixing their rubber bands and their braces. Uh-huh. and like, Sniffing markers. Putting their eyes inside out. That thing that oh, kids yeah. do for whatever reason that I never learned how to do, nor would I want to. Yeah. Um, it's freaky. <laughs> yeah. And that was just really good. And another thing that I loved really loved about this movie was that the kids who played the kids seemed age appropriate yes absolutely uh and they seem flawed and all like even like these kids could exist in any middle school across the country which i thought was really good yeah and and um one thing that I really like like because that reminds me of aiden again who like for a crush he's not like this 26 year old hottie super ripped he's mm-hmm. like this really skinny dude mm-hmm. who like someone of that age would like because he's like the 13 year old version of cute. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh my God, whenever she sees him, it, it's this like Ferris Bueller bump bump moment. Yeah. Um, and the score goes nuts. Uh-huh. It, it's this orgiastic, like eighties synth score. Yeah. Just for like, um, to give an example, uh, the first time we see Aiden, it's during like, they're winning their awards. Uh, and yeah, he the wins superlatives. For, yeah. And he wins for best eyes. And it opens with like him just slowly looking up, uh-huh. and we see his eyes, and it's just this score is loud, uh-huh. and it's so funny. Everybody's laughing. It was good. The movie is surprisingly funny, I would say. Yeah, and I, I will say, sorry, we're spoiling this movie. By yeah, the way, go ahead. Um, that that scene is also devastating because she, like they hand out the superlatives for most quiet, and she doesn't even win. Because she's such a wallflower that nobody even thinks of her when they think of the quiet person in class. Uh-huh. That's such a devastating scene. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Um, no, that's it. Yeah. No, no well, what, what I want to say about that, at, at first, when the score came in, I was like, this is too much. Like, uh-huh. it's too 80s-y. Like, I love me an 80s synth score, um, but it's too on trend right now. And it didn't feel like it was doing anything special. Um, but then with the Aiden scenes where I really figured out what it was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it just captures how big the emotions of middle school are. Um, Cause in between all these quiet, lame moments, like the things that seem so mundane and simple, like a boy walking down a hall or like going to a pool party and walking out in your bathing suit. Mm-hmm. They're the biggest moments of your life. Because you've never done this before, and you're full, pumped full of hormones. And you're so just self-conscious. Yeah. And the score reflects that in this like huge tidal wave of music. And I, I loved it by the uh-huh. end. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you also... He does a really good job of making you fall in love with her as a character. Yeah. And so, do, so does Elsie Fisher. She's, yeah. It's an incredible she's, performance. She's great. She's great. Um... And you just, you really root for her by the end of the movie. Yeah. And, um, uh, like, there are parts of the movie where you're, I wasn't sure what to think of her, whether I was rooting for her to, like, hang out with the high school kids or, and, like, be cool that way. Because ultimately the movie wasn't, I mean, ultimately the movie wasn't about that, but her character really was fixated on popularity, as any kid that age would be. Yeah, or not even popular, but, like, just being liked mm-hmm. by someone. Mm-hmm. And there was a scene in the movie where 
you know, she could have easily been liked by someone should she sacrifice. I wouldn't say oh, her like morals, cool points. What was that? Oh, are you? Ta- oh, you're talking about the car scene. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, but she held on to who she was. I, don't, I mean, I don't even know how to really talk about that scene. It is the hardest scene in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, it is. Uh, she's hanging out with because she, um, she gets to do this shadow day where everyone in the middle, everyone in eighth grade gets to like be paired with a high school senior and they get to follow them along in their classes that day. Uh-huh. And she really bonds with her like high school mentor person. Yep. And she ends up getting invited to hang out with her and her friends at the mall. Um, and she she's like so into it. She dresses like 18 different ways, trying to figure out how to do it. Uh-huh. And then it's kind of disappointing because the high school kids don't really want to hang out with this eighth grader. Uh-huh. Um, and they it's don't, just that they can't really relate to her. Yeah. And they, they don't know what to talk to her about. They're and talking she's about just so like, she thinks it's going great because she's so in love with them. And yeah. like, I think what they represent to her. Yeah. But they're talking about like dating and kissing and gossip and all these people that she doesn't know and uh-huh. all these feelings that she doesn't know. Um, and experiences and they're mostly like, what is this fifth wheel doing here? Uh-huh. Um, the boys are certainly that way. Yeah. And that's a rough scene. Like uh-huh. they're all nice to, mostly. Uh-huh. Um, they're but, certainly respectful. Yeah. But then she ends up um, being driven home by one of them. Um, and the boy like stops the car and gets in the back seat and starts coming on to her uh-huh. in this really aggressive, really horrifying way. Yeah. And you really don't know how that scene's going to turn out because he's completely in a position of power. Yeah. It's really scary. Yeah. That's a horror sequence. Yeah. Um, and she, it's very, um, just this is going to be a tangent, but it's very, um, uh, Northanger Abbey and, uh, yes. Tilly. Um, was it Tony? No, it was, uh, the Tony's friend. It was the brother of of is Henry Thorpe Thorpe Henry Thorpe Henry Thorpe yeah um, and that carriage scene yeah he f- he forces the lead of the Jane Austen novel Northanger Abbey uh-huh. to like through duplicity to go on a carriage ride and he basically kidnaps her when uh-huh. she yeah it's it, it's a it's a rough scene yeah because Kayla like the moment that the car stops she's like oh shouldn't I get in front and he's like no let me join you in the back yeah which which means we're not going to your house uh-huh. no one's driving yeah we're just gonna stay here and chill. And then slowly he starts talking to her, like, let's play truth or dare. Like, he's Never in control of every single thing that happens up until the point where it's clear that she's not going to, like, entertain this anymore. And I don't even know if it's it's clear that she's not going to entertain because it's... Well, well, the thing... She, I don't know how to talk about it. She says no mm-hmm. when he requests that she takes off her shirt mm-hmm. because she's not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. She's not ready for that. She's mm-hmm. 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and he essentially forces her to apologize for not acquiescing to his like really gross demands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm so glad that that scene didn't go where it very easily could have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that the boy was sensible enough to be like, fine, like no is no, but I'm still going to be a dick to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just has so much to learn about respecting herself and her autonomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm glad she stood up for herself. But the way that she apologizes is something that I think a lot of people can relate to, especially at that age. Mm-hmm. And it, that's a tough scene. And I feel like it's a tough scene, and it's so it's so hard to talk about because I feel like so often does it not play out that way. Yeah, I feel like, like it that, probably it's almost a fantasy of okay, we're fine, we can get through this. Uh huh. And she's the better for it. Like, after that scene, she is, you know, she learns to more or less 
realize that she doesn't need to idolize these things that she's been chasing this entire movie. Yeah, she she it's a dose of reality, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like in real life it doesn't pan out that way almost. So I, I think it can, but certainly doesn't always. Yeah, and she's very lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, I feel like we should move on from it. Yeah, that seems it's really hard, hard to talk about. Yeah, I um, mean it, it. It's probably accurate for a lot of experiences, uh-huh. uh, and something that people need to be talking about. Yeah. But yeah, ugh, it was so that was rough. Uh-huh. Like, there's a lot of rough scenes in the movie, but that's the one that's like most just terrifying. Yeah. Um. So, one thing that I liked was Gabe. Oh yeah, her, Magic Gabe. Yeah. Spoilers. Um. She does get a friend by the end of this. It's yes. one. It's a friend that she kind of ignores at first because he's really geeky. Uh-huh. Um. But they end up bonding over Rick and Morty. Uh-huh. Um. And it's it's really sweet. Like, there's he's he's a cute guy. He's a cute uh-huh. kid. Yeah, and it's like, you know what? It's just somebody who she can talk to in the world. And I really like their date. Yeah, well, their friend date. Uh-huh. Where he, like, gives her chicken nuggets. Uh-huh. And they t- then she's like, do you believe in God? Uh-huh. <laughs> just like in Lady Bird. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, they have chicken nuggets, and he has all the sauces, and then it's Shoy Sean sauce or whatever, and it's that. It was a fun date. I like that. Yeah. I wish I had dates like that in middle school. Me too. No, no, no nuggets for me. Okay, well, fine. Um, but yeah, also I really, really like the relationship between her and her dad, which was basically the center point of the movie. I wouldn't say it was the center point, but okay. It, it was the the central character relationship of the movie. Okay, it's the he's the person that she interacts with the most. Mm-hmm. And I really did like how he was like, "I love you so much," and you know, nothing like ever since you've been X age, I've been proud of you. Yeah, and it's a shame that you. Like, I don't think he says, like, it's a shame we don't realize that, but uh, it is a shame that she doesn't realize that. Yeah. Just how cool she is and the things that she has been, you know, holding herself to, these standards, these impossible standards, you know. There are other things you can uh, cherish in yourself that need not be how many Instagram followers you have or how many people shared your YouTube videos. Yeah. And it can be as simple as the fact that, you know, you're a kind person who values other people. Yeah, he he. And that's and, who Ellie is. Elsie, um, yeah, Elsie <laughs> Kayla. Um, but yeah, he's he's the perfect like dorky dad slash like wise father figure. Mm-hmm. He's like just a regular dude. He's a single dad. There's mm-hmm. no mom in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he's played by Josh Hamilton, and I think without him and Elsie Fisher, this movie would be nothing. Like, um, it would just be eighth grade. <laughs> well, yeah, it's just a bunch of kids eating paste. Uh-huh. But like their relationship and their performances are really incredible. They both do such a good job. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm gonna just quickly like go on a little tangent. Sure. Um, which is what we do here. Uh, one of my favorite scenes between the two of them uh-huh. is Elsie has convinced herself that she's going to give Aiden a blowjob at some point. Oh, no. I forgot about that scene. That scene's so good. Yeah. And so she looks up videos on YouTube to learn how to practice. Uh-huh. Uh, and one of the videos suggests, you know, try on things that are phallic-shaped. And so what is phallic-shaped if not a banana? Of course. So she's in the, like, kitchen getting ready to practice. And what is a banana if not training wheels for a blowjob? Yes. I practice every time I eat one. I eat two a day. So, you know. You do eat so many bananas. It's sh- truly shocking. I am the best at all things, I will say. Um, so. Okay. Um, uh, Elsie, she's practicing. On, she's getting ready to practice on the banana. And then her father walks in. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, she's, like, taken aback. And they talk about something first, and then they talk about uh, the fact that he's, like, 
why are you eating this banana? I yeah, no, because they're, they're having a normal conversation. Then he notices she's holding a banana. And he's like, you hate bananas. Uh-huh. And she's like, no, I don't. He's like, yeah, you do. I remember you specifically telling me, getting mad at me for thinking that you liked bananas. And now I know for a fact that you hate them. Yeah, and he was like, and I made a note in my phone so I'd remember for next time. And I'm like, oh, first, that's so sweet. Uh-huh. Um, but it also is totally not what she needed at that moment. Uh-huh. Like, he has actual receipts of her uh-huh. saying she hated bananas. He receipts on his eighth grade daughter. That's great. Um, and then so to go along with the gag that she doesn't hate bananas, she starts eating it and like the taste in her mouth, you can see her like contorting herself. Oh, yeah, she's trying to, to smile and be like, yeah, I love this. And then he's like, you know, you don't have to eat that. Right. And I think she spits it out. And then, but for sure she throws it at him. He's like, not, ah, not the spit you? banana, but the, the la- the part of the banana that has not been eaten yet. Uh-huh. He just throws it at him. And I was like, are you happy now? Or what did she say? Something like that. And he's just like, what did I do? Yeah. She really makes him the victim. It's so good. Uh-huh. Um, well, she makes did, herself to be the victim in a scenario where he's the victim. Yeah. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much did you relate to this movie? Did you feel like you like your experience was reflected in any of the characters in this movie? Um, I thought the movie was too real. Okay. Uh, certainly, like... I feel like that kind of anxiety that you were mentioned that you were talking about, like that everything is just so big and like seeing your crush walk down the hall and possibly looking at you and like every conversation you have with that person means so much to you. It might mean yeah. like shit to that person, but to you, it's like, you know, Oh, I'm about to make these dreams happen. I'm the happiest girl in the world. Uh, yeah. Like I relate to that. For okay. Sure. Good. It yeah. was, just too real too much of it was eighth grade oh, yeah it, it, it's incredibly relatable um i think not to drag lady bird in again at the end i think for me i thought lady bird was more universal universally relatable because there are so many characters that you kind of can't not relate to one of them mm-hmm. um but eighth grade is such a detailed portrait of one person that even if you don't necessarily relate to her you can feel what she's feeling mm-hmm and it feels real mm-hmm. and that's a really good thing yeah so it was good so ultimately brennan would you recommend people spend their money and go watch this movie yes absolutely um i don't know how much like not that this matters but i don't know how much like oscar buzz it's gonna get i hope it gets some it's a little early in the year for that mm-hmm. um but it's definitely one of the like prestigier movies that you need to check out yeah um i would definitely say go see it um maybe go watch it on a tuesday or during like a discount day yeah for sure um but it's really good and definitely like you know you'll have fun take a friend take a middle schooler (laughs) okay that might be rough but yes do it yeah i would love to know how actual eighth graders feel about this movie yeah i might show it to like my cousin and my nephew he's my nephew wow he's my cousin's kid so i consider him my nephew Uh uh-huh sure Uh uh-huh okay great So, so yeah um, yeah, so thanks so much for listening and for subscribing to our Patreon. You're a kind and gentle spirit, and we'll catch you next time. Yeah, good luck on your journey, everybody. Yeah, stay gold. In a moment, everyone is going to start shooting. They all want what you've got, and they'll kill each and every one of us until they get it. Oh, my God. Hello, this is Scream 101, reporting live from Patreon. I'm Brennan. And I'm the great... Pretender. No, stop it. You're, you're tra- he's trying to rickroll me, and this is not going to happen. We're going to talk about eighth grade. I'm Sergio. I wanted to talk about the spy who dumped me first. Oh.
Okay, well, that's what's happening then, I guess. Okay, so how, <laughs> I'm totally off the game now. How'd you like the movie? Um, it was a fun, you know, comedy with friends. <laughs> yep. Okay. So I liked it. Okay. Wonderful. Like the movie is average. Okay, it's like yes. you know your average buddy comedy. Uh, rated R, so there's going to be some swears and some dirty things that happen so in the movie. You get to see testicles. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Which we is didn't my see... wish for every movie. I'm sorry we didn't see full shaft, though. Yeah, yeah, they they really pulled their punches on that one, didn't they? Um, but uh, but it's you know the only difference is that it's led by women, and that it's made by that weird Chinese studio that's making everything. Yes. Um. Uh. So. I liked it okay. Like, it's average. It was always going to be just average. No, you're completely right. And I, I mean, living in a world where Melissa McCarthy's spy already exists, and that movie is a masterpiece. Yes. Um, the Spy Who Dumped Me was only ever going to be just fine, and it is. Uh-huh. Um, like, it was a great movie to spend some time in the air conditioning and not have to think about how the world is literally on fire. Yeah. Um, uh, Kate McKinnon and Mila Kunis play best friends who end up embroiled in an international spy ring when they find out that her boyfriend, Mila Kunis' boyfriend, Justin Thoreau, is a spy. Uh-huh. Um, it, they By international locations, they mean mostly Europe? three places in Europe. Oh, um, yeah. I remember that annoying me. Yeah, and all of them are played by Budapest. Uh-huh. <laughs> they shot in Budapest. Oh, really? And, like, one scene in Amsterdam, I think. Oh, uh, cool. Um, so, like... London and Paris and I don't know wherever they go is El Budapest. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I mean it, it's like Kate McKinnon can't help but be funny. Mm-hmm. But I, I think she does her thing where her character is just completely anarchic and just like really crazy and funny because of how unpredictable she is. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, it totally kind of deflates the stakes of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like there are actual, there are lives being lost in this movie. People are being murdered left and right. Yeah. in some pretty gruesome ways, which are kind of dope. Yeah. And, and this is an action comedy, so I'm not act- asking her to take the, take it seriously, but the way that she goes about living her life with just absolute no fear in the face of all this horrible stuff is just, it, it doesn't click uh-huh. really. Um, she never quite becomes a character. Okay, she's always just a joke. Yeah, she's always a joke, and that deflates the tension and prevents her from being a character, which I think is a problem, but she's always funny. That's true. I agree with you, but again, to me, this whole movie was is just, you know, it's a good time at the theater where, you know, you and you eat some popcorn and you drink some soda. Uh-huh. Um, brought to you by Coca-Cola. Sure. At Regal. Um <laughs> Uh, and like all these action comedy movies, like that's what they are. Like there's always a character who's a joke. Um, like in the hangover, uh, that's not an action movie. No. Um, or like Chris Tucker in rush hour. Like you can make the argument that people are dying. Certainly they're killing people. Um, but you know, you know that Chris Tucker and Jackie Chen are never in any real harm. Yeah, of course. Like, they're not going to ever kill off a star. Even in this movie, one of the stars that gets killed off, spoiler alert, comes back. Oh, Justin Thoreau. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. We are spoiling this movie, of course. Uh-huh. Um, but that, that first of all, a super predictable twist. Of course he comes back. Of course he's evil. Uh-huh. Um, but they don't really explain any of how this was happening. Okay, the biggest flaws in this movie are who's evil and who isn't. Um, There's so many players in this game. Yeah. 
I really don't know who to trust. Is it uh-huh. the U.S. government that is bad? Is it just spies in general? Is it Justin Thoreau's character? Is it the organization he works for, which is the U.S. government? Is it MI6, who uh, that hot guy is from? Um, uh, oh, Sam Huchen? The Outlander. Uh-huh. There's just so many people who uh, are introduced, and they all seem to have ulterior motives. And one of the earliest lines that Justin Thoreau says, and in fact, I think it's the only line that he says to Mila Kunis of note, is like, don't trust anyone. Uh-huh. And that's truly because all of the spies are somehow double-crossing each other. Yeah. And I found it hard to keep track and really hard to care. Oh, yeah. The, the plot in this movie does not matter, and there is a, a lot of it. Uh-huh. Um, what did you think of the uh, crazy gymnast torture lady? Oh, I liked her. Yeah, she was fun. She was beautiful and, like, evil and silly. She was one of the most well-thought-out characters. Honestly, she had a backstory and everything. Yeah. We don't even get the backstory to Mila Kunis and Justin Thoreau's relationship, which is literally the backbone of this entire story. Well, we get snippets of it throughout the movie. We get snippets of their first day meeting. We don't get snippets of any of the rest of their relationship. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we don't see why she would care. Yeah. I don't... I, I could have done without the snippets to the first meeting, to be honest with you. Yeah, on yeah, I mean, like, you get it. He dumped her via text, and he he's a spy now. Uh-huh. Like, we don't even get to see her being dumped. I, like, their relationship is a non-entity in this movie. Uh-huh. So when he comes back and we're supposed to care, it's like, who who gives a crap? Yeah. Um, I really liked the gymnast character. I thought yes. uh, some things that were fun were, well, we got her backstory. They told us that she was, like, part, like in the Olympics in Athens, and uh-huh. she, like, fell or something or other. She failed essentially and so now she's trying to get back and help her country by by killing off these americans it's basically red sparrow (laughs) yeah um pretty dope um uh and then one of the things that two things that i loved okay one was that uh she is tasked with essentially killing mila kunis and uh, kate mckinnon Uh and the way they get out of it is they insist on like talking to her and like convincing that her of their friendship and how great it is and how they know one another and how what are they trying to do? Well, basically, well they start like telling each other secrets uh-huh. because they're like, look, we're not lying, we don't lie, we're not lying. I remember to you. that, but what was like um, the purpose of it? Like to convince her that they're friends or no, to convince no, that, her? No, no, that came later. Uh-huh. Um, they were trying to say like, look, we'll tell you anything about each other. And that'll convince you that we're not lying about what you're trying to get out of us. We don't uh-huh. know where the thing oh, is. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. And okay. then she seems, like, touched by how much they know about each other. Uh-huh. She's like, how do you know so much about her and uh-huh. you about her? Uh-huh. And they're like, we're best friends. They're like, don't you have a best friend? And she Talk to us about that at length, please. Yeah, and so then she agrees that she has a best friend, and then she says a name. It's like, Pipiat or something. Feels like it was something Vulpix. Uh, sure. And then so she says it, and then we're like, okay, who the fuck is this Volpix? Uh-huh. Are you sure it's not Ninetales? Ah, jokes. Yep, it was um, great. Keep moving. <laughs> um, and so then they're like, who is it? And then she just looks off to the corner. And I was expecting to see, like, a friend there. Because there were other people there. Yeah, um, just, like, chilling. Uh-huh. Like villains, which they were. Yeah, but it's just a close-up of the pole of the balance beam. Uh-huh. And then they're like, oh, it's a balance beam. And I just found that so funny. Yeah, that was great. And um, that scene also had probably my favorite joke of the movie, which is uh, uh, Kate McKinnon tearfully telling the gymnast to go fuck herself. Mm-hmm. It, it's just it's it's a line delivery that is um, like resembling many other lines that would be in this type of movie, but like totally reversing it. I like mm-hmm. that a lot. Mm-hmm. 
And I really liked uh, some of the jokes that they came up with during that uh, montage of like letting out secrets. Oh, yeah, yeah, that was good. For instance, Mila Kunis wanted to have sex with a minion. Who doesn't? It's like, who among right? us? Yeah. You know, <laughs> throw the first stone. Uh, okay, so the second thing I liked about the gymnast was that uh, in the final scene with her, with the gymnast sure. on screen, yes. she is on doing a Cirque du Soleil type battle with Kate McKinnon. Uh-huh. As they battle for, you know, who's going to live. Yep. Um, and again, we're going to do some spoilers. Spoiler alert, the gymnast doesn't live. No, she gets impaled on a big, sharp thing of metal that should not have been there in an acrobatic show, but sure. Yeah. Um, and Kate McKinnon just screams a line at her, but like through gritted, like, I'm actually working right now, so I'm going to give it like through tired breaths. Okay. And it's like, who was the nun who did this to you? Yeah. And I don't know why it was that I found that line so funny. Because you're Catholic? Yes. I love me some nuns. Sure. Ready to see the nun this November? I'm so ready. I'm sorry for the backstory for all the nuns. Was she a flying nun? A non-flying nun? <laughs> the only two kinds. Yes. Um, yeah, what else? Um, I mean, all the dudes in this movie are hot. Great. Um, oh, yeah. Sam Hirgen mm-hmm. um, from Outlander. Uh-huh. Um, Hassan Minaj. Oh, uh, yeah. His partner is Hassan Minaj. And let me tell you what. I would do a Hassan Minaj a trois with those two men. <laughs> Um, okay, good. <laughs> and, and, uh, end of episode. And, yeah, that's where we leave off I on. think that's really the bulk of what I have to contribute about this movie. If it was you fine. agree with Brennan, give us a five for our Patreon score. I don't know if there are scores on Patreon, but sure. I don't know. I'm just saying. I'm trying to save your joke here. Okay, it was great. It was a very good joke. You're welcome to it everyone. Was. This is what you're paying for. Yeah. Um, did you have any last thoughts about this movie? No, the men were great. The comedy was on and off. Um, the, the girls have chemistry. They have really good chemistry. Um, and some of the lines are great. But some of the lines were like, oh, I saw this in the trailer. And it doesn't have its potency. Yeah, the the narrative is weak and the script is not the best. It was directed uh-huh. by a woman, which I love. Uh-huh. Support women filmmakers. Yeah. It wasn't One- great. <laughs> but, no, I, th- I think true equality comes when we allow women to make just as many mediocre movies as men have been making all this mm-hmm. time. And don't get mad at them for it. Yeah. Um, one other thing that annoyed me was the constant going back and forth to different European countries. Oh, yeah. you hate Whenever the Chiron showed up of, like, Budapest, you'd be like, come on. Because we kept going back and forth to, like, Rome and then Paris and then back to Rome or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I get it. Like, they can travel. They can afford to travel. Yeah. I was wondering that because she works for Trader Joe's and Kate McKinnon is a failed actress. And it's like, how can they afford this European vacation they're going on? That's true. Although Kate McKinnon did have a callback. So, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm, beautiful yeah i did like well the ending scene was pretty cool did um sure oh the, like the finale where they're like spies uh-huh so the movie opens on mila kunis's birthday and it quickly and it not quickly but it frequently references her birthday the year prior which where, is when she met just throw yeah and then the movie closes on her next birthday yeah that's a good wrap-up she's a full spy and like she's in not spy gear, but she's in re- she's dressed in the nines. Uh-huh. Like it's a really killer outfit, and Kate McKinnon looks great. As does you know Outlander. He looks beautiful. Uh-huh. Always. Uh huh. And then they're just taking down crime syndicates, and it's fun. That is fun. Uh huh. And it's like I don't need a sequel to this movie. I wouldn't be surprised if we get one because Bad Moms had a yeah. had a sequel. A terrific, a shockingly terrific sequel. So and then Mila Kunis worked with that same studio for Bad Moms. Oh, so, okay. 
So, so I, she, she's bankrolling them. Yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised if we somehow get a sequel to this okay, one. Okay, sweet. Because maybe she's trying to be a producer and, you know, make Go some for money. It. Sure, the spy who dumped me again. Uh huh. Um, but yeah. And or it'll probably be like the spy who I dumped or something. Sure. Or just a different Bond pun. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, did you like how... Well, in the scene where she meets Just, Justin Thoreau, she's like, I challenge you to find the worst song on this jukebox. Did you like that the song that they chose was that Crash Test Dummy song from Tag? Or was it like... Yeah, that's a pretty terrible song. Yeah. Now, I remember when that played during Tag, you're like, what is this? This is terrible. This doesn't fit anything. Yeah. It was so out of place. Yeah, it was. It was so bizarre. Anyway, um... You know, it is what it is, um, and we'll catch you on the flippity flop. Yeah, yeah. so thank you. It's yeah, thank you so much for about subscribing. Uh, Gucci. Let us know what you like, what you would rather hear more of. Would you like us to have ratings? Would you like us to have more of a narrative when we're rating these movies? Oh, yeah. Should, w- yeah, flat out, would you recommend this movie or not? Yeah. Um, Redbox. Uh, yeah, Redbox, definitely. Um, not in th- it's not worth theater prices. It is. Especially because Movie Pass has gone... Yeah, movie pass is no longer in its same. Uh, let let you see anything. Uh huh. One movie a day. Yeah. Um, it's no longer in that iteration. It's in its new phase, which yeah. is much more sustainable. Um, but, but but sad. Less fun. It's so, not a Caligula esque experience full of terrible movies you wouldn't have seen otherwise. Yeah, we have to be pretty selective about what we watch now. So sad. And so I wouldn't recommend you waste one of your I think three watches. Uh, so lame. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, and good luck on your journey, everybody. Yeah. Stay cold. Yes. Bye. March. We've been dating for over a year now, and I think it's about time people met my beautiful girlfriend. Hello, and welcome to our 10-minute review of Crazy Rich Asians. I'm Sergio. I'm Brennan. And we're your favorite hosts of yes. your favorite podcast. Uh, yes, Scream 101. That's what we're called. Don't yes. wear it out. Don't tell anyone. JK, you can tell everyone, please. Join our Patreon, which you're on right now. Um, anyway, Crazy Rich Asians is a story of Rachel Chu, who is an econ professor at, you know, somewhere. New York. Yeah. New, maybe Niata, that's cool from Glee that's made up. It's NYU. Is it specifically NYU? It's NYU. Okay. I saw the purple. Sure. Um, and Although one thing I will say is I didn't know that they hired, you know. Asian people? Yes. Um, I'm assuming just Women? master's students. Because she wasn't Dr. Uh, Rachel Chu. She was just Rachel Chu. And so, like, I assume she just has a master's degree, not a doctorate, which is weird. This is something that you and only you care about, but I'm so happy you brought it up because you got to chase your passions. Yes. Um, anyway, so she's dating this super hot hunk named um, Nick, Nick Young. Young. <laughs> I could only think of the actor's name, Henry Golding. Uh-huh. Uh, but it turns out, surprise, surprise, he's crazy rich. And Asian. Yes. But that's not the surprise. He's all three. He's a triple threat. Yeah. Really? He's crazy, rich, and Asian. He's not crazy. He's very nice. Um, he takes her to Singapore to meet his family, mm-hmm. but his mom, Michelle Yeoh, is having none of it. She wants him to marry someone who's worthy of you know the young family name and so forth. And drama ensues, but mostly it is lifestyle porn. It's all kinds of porn, except for the actual porn. Yeah. Um, it's lifestyle porn. It's um, food porn because we get to watch a bunch of dumplings and d- delicious things. Yeah, the get food. Made. The food. I was really into the dumpling scene. Yes, I was like, I want to eat these dumplings. The last time I ate dumplings, they gave me like a bad case of the runs. Oh no! Yeah, um, but those were made like on a school or at a school, and so you know, school food is not necessarily the best food. It's like a carnival food. 
Yeah, gross. Yeah. But I'm going to try dumplings again soon. Okay, please do. Let I'll, me, you, I'll keep you posted. Yeah, keep us posted. That'll be, that'll be the next episode. The next episode in our Crazy Rich Asians arc. Uh-huh. Um, Sergio eats dumplings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would love to record that. People need to know. Stay tuned for my food review podcast coming to you soon. I, we should do one of those. Anyway, so um, what were we talking about? Some stuff happens. Oh, yeah. Um, it's luxury porn. Um, it's softcore porn of if you like shirtless men, which I do. You do. Um, but they just make out. They don't like, you know, we don't see any thrusting. Yeah. And he's talking about there's no penetration. Straight men make out with other heterosexual women. Yeah. Not, boring. Not the two men making out together. We only see like two to three shirtless men. But that's, that's good enough for me really. Yeah. Um, PG 13 movie. Yeah. One of them is Henry Golding. One of them is another guy whose name I did not catch. Um, but he's married to Astrid. Who's one of the super expansive family. Um, and he used to be in the army, so that's where, you know, they make you do sit-ups. Yeah. Anyway, what else is in this movie other than abdominal muscles? Family. Yes. Did you respond to that element at all? Um, yeah, I liked the family. I liked how everybody's, you know, kind of unique in their own way. We all have those crazy relatives. Like, you know, you have your wine-drinking relatives. I have my... Tequila gulping... I guess, but they haven't drunk in a lot. I have my, you no, know, you're, you're my thieving relative relatives, my thieving relatives. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, um, we don't have to spill the tea on your whole family right here. Um, you know, but you know, you have your pot smoking cousins, your, uh, um, what else? Um, your crazy half baked sister. Sure. Like the, the, there's, there's always one person who's like, poorer than everyone else and mm-hmm. there's always one person who's richer than everyone else mm-hmm. so know? yeah so it's nice seeing that kind of element in a movie yeah and it's such a big family too uh-huh um, and i like seeing john choose like uh just little snippets too, like these people and their elements which i thought was cool yeah that was great and we're speaking about john m chu the director mm-hmm. who uh hot off the hit film no in the holograms no. okay continue what what do you think I was gonna say? I know you're gonna say Jim and the Holograms, which I like very much. I'm the only person. Okay, continue. Um. Anyway. Um. Yes, this is the first movie in over two decades to have a an entirely Asian cast. What was the last one? I probably the Joy Luck Club. <laughs> TBH. That was made in 1993. Was that not 25 years ago? I think that's ex- that's the one. Yeah, I guess that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the one. <laughs> I was like, that was me in 1993, Brandon. It's been longer than that. But then I did the math, and I was like, oh, no. It's... Yeah, that's, like, exactly it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, well, you know, like, literally Asian people have been making movies with predominantly Asian cast. This is the first one in, like, Hollywood, America, like, our side, yeah. of, the, sorry, side of things. Um, but the thing is, that's not what makes this movie good. And that's great. Because I always want to support... Um, non-white non-straight non-male um filmmakers and cast members and things like that but it's not always the best movies because you know you get what you get mm-hmm. um but this movie i i genuinely enjoyed um completely 100 percent. It, it's uh except for one element it is very much a like fun frothy light like not super you know it's not like an art, art film or anything mm-hmm. like it's a hollywood crazy fun movie mm-hmm. um it's not you know citizen kane or anything not that i like citizen kane but yeah don't go into this movie expecting like you know 
uh, new styles of cinema to be explored. Don't expect like really deep emotions uh, or really, you know, or like like scenes that require you to chew on. It's it's popcorn fun yeah, or Oscar worthy monologues or anything. Uh huh. I mean, um, the act. A lot of the acting in this is great. Constance mm-hmm. Wu is incredible. Although mm-hmm. her the role she's given is the uh, Alice in Alice in mm-hmm. Wonderland role, where she gets to gawk at all these crazy people. Mm-hmm. So it, the role does not deserve her, but she deserves to star in a lot of movies. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, she's no, I, funnier than the role asks her to be. I get what you're saying. Okay. Um. Uh. Yeah. It's just it's a rom com of a movie. Yep. Uh. One might a, call it a rom com. Uh huh. And it's a really good one. It's fun. I really enjoyed just the opulence of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, really just basking in all these rich people and all their money that they have and that I can pretend for an hour and what, 50 minutes was the wrong time? It was like time? two hours in one minute. Uh, like that I can belong to this world. Um, I really liked the music and the score. Yes. Um, there was a cover of Madonna's Material Girl. Uh-huh. Um, that was great. Uh-huh. There were a lot of other songs I didn't know and they were also good. They were very good. Um, but yeah, the, the one thing I will say that I, I think you could dig a little deeper into like emo- on an emotional thematic level is, uh, the way this movie is about basically, I mean, Nick Young, the like bachelor character, he is kind of a prize to be won by the women and the women are like fighting over him and toying with him. And he's like. Just the tennis ball in the middle of Michelle Yeoh and Constance Wu mm-hmm. battling it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's generally a role that is given to women. Um, you know, like the prize to be rewarded at the end. The mm-hmm. person who is constant and unwavering and not the source of conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was super cool. Um, I mean, not, not that men are marginalized or whatever, although, you know, we deserve it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked the idea that it, this movie was very much about mothers and daughters and those relationships. Um, like it's about Michelle Yeoh and her mother. It's about Constance Wu and her mother mm-hmm. and like how our family defines us and how we can break away from that. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I just, I felt even not being a woman, I felt secondhand empowered by this movie, I guess. I don't know. Does that make sense at all? I see what you're saying. Because I empathize with female characters in movies a lot Mm -hmm. more than male characters. Mm -hmm. So I felt like I got a little bit of that um, empowerment Uh just rubbed off on me. Uh I didn't really feel that it was all that empowering, but that was just me and my boring manly self, I guess. Uh Well, I mean, the part where it actively becomes a game that Mm -hmm. Constance Wu and Michelle Yeoh are playing... Uh I like a lot. I think that element could have been explored a little more. I talk about what they're actively playing, like a game between one another, like as to who's going to be who or beat who, or are you talking about the game of Mahjong? No, both. I mean, the game of Mahjong underscores like what's going on there mm-hmm. um, because she, uh, bleh, Constance Wu actually lectures in game theory. Mm-hmm. And if you're watching a movie and a professor's giving a lecture, pay attention because it's always the theme of the movie. That's yeah, true. Which I find to be very lazy screenwriting, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens all the time. It's a trope. Chekhov's gun. Chekhov's uh-huh. lesson yeah, Chekhov's, plan. Yeah, Chekhov's lesson plan. <laughs> um, no, but she decides to actually play the game and make this um, like hard-nosed woman respect her instead of like, like her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she makes a strong power move. So we're spoiling this movie, by the way. Um, at a, a wedding that they're all attending. 
um, there's a princess who has reserved an entire row because she does not want anyone to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And she strikes up a conversation about um, the princess's economic policies. And the princess is like, finally, someone gets me. Mm-hmm. And they become like fast friends. And it's such a great power move, but it's also such a sweet moment of connection between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so good. I love that scene a lot. It was a good scene. Um, so, Brennan, what would you say was your main takeaway from this movie? Um, my main takeaway, I mean, we have so much um, Asian talent in Hollywood. I think that it's such a shame that we don't have enough roles to give around to all these incredible people. Because there's so many mm-hmm. people in this movie where it's like, I don't, I don't know who Henry Golding is. No, I wish I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it gave a lot of people who deserve more screen time the chance to have it, like mm-hmm. Constance Wu, like Michelle Yeoh. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken Jong is there, fine. Um, you know, doing his thing. Hey, he is Hollywood. True. Uh, he just hasn't stopped doing that one thing since 2008. Which you know, that's how comedians work. Yeah. Um, up and coming hot talent like your Aquafina, um, who is. She's good comic relief. She's doing her, like, New York gritty thing. Mm-hmm. Not gritty, but, like, you know, kind of earthy. Mm-hmm. Salt of the earth. Whatever. Um, She's good. There's a great scene where they're driving up to the young mansion for the first time, and there's armed guards that she's very frightened by. Yeah. Um, oh, that was a hilarious scene. Yeah, that scene was wonderful. Um, is there, is there a character in the movie that you connected with the most? A character that I connected with the most? Yeah. I don't know if I connected with this character, but I certainly wanted to know more about her. And I mentioned this to you earlier was Astrid. Yes. That's his sister. sister. She's like this perfect princess. Uh, Very poised. Very, you know, flawless. She doesn't show emotion. um, That isn't perfection. Uh It's like every hair is perfectly in its place. She's like Azula. Yeah. The fire princess. Yeah. Great. Um, Although she's not like homicidal. She's just very kind and she thinks of others and. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so yeah, so I want to know more about her. Her marriage falls apart during the course of the movie. Um, yes, with, with her extremely ripped husband. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I think their relationship's the most interesting because it's the least superficial. Um, because he is a, he was poor when they fell in love and he's trying to become this like tech CEO, mm-hmm. but he feels like he can never measure up. Mm-hmm. And their relationship is kind of the standard that Constance Wu was trying to set hers against, where it's like a member of this family has already married a lower class person. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a precedent for this, but the fact that it's falling apart isn't really helping her case. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know if there's a lot of comparison for Constance Wu's character to that. I mean, there's that moment where, that they have on the beach where they're kind of talking about it. Yeah, but okay, I guess so. I just didn't think that there was that the two stories necessarily intersected. No, that it was just I to give you know Alice more of some some more depth uh, and more. I mean Astrid. Yeah, Astrid. Sorry, more depth and more you know insight for us, the audience, into her life because she's clearly someone we're supposed to care about. Yeah, and like you're the right. whole mid credit sequence was about her. Yeah, it was weird. She gets to lock eyes with Harry Shum Jr. for two seconds. Mm-hmm. Well, who get first of all? Who gets sixth billing? Something like that, and he's in two seconds of the movie. And maybe he's in more. We just didn't see him. No, I did look it up. He's only in those moments. But the character from the book is a much bigger presence. Okay. Um, he's like an old flame of hers who okay. she keeps like encountering over the week or whatever. Okay. Um, and this movie does kind of have those pockmarks of being a an adaptation from a book. There are a lot of characters and scenes where you're like, that was probably 
more fleshed out in the book. Mm-hmm. Like there's these characters called the twins who have almost no lines of dialogue. And I'm like, I feel like they were pretty big in the book probably. Yeah. Like you, you can feel things of the movie kind of pointing at certain characters and being like, Hey fans of the book, here they are. Uh-huh. We're going to ignore them. But like, there they are. Uh huh. Think of it like Harry Potter too. When like they focused on the creepy kid and like, he wasn't really ever a character. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there is that, but not having read the book, I, you know, it's, it's a completely legible plot and I, I get what I need from it, but just mm-hmm. a lot of the depth and emotions in the subplots aren't really there. Nah, but that's what you read a book for. Yeah. That's why you, you know, visit your local library or your used bookstore. Yeah. To buy books. Yes. From Kevin Kwan. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did you have a favorite scene in the movie? Favorite scene? Um, I don't know. You seem like you're ready for it. What's your favorite scene? Uh, probably my favorite scene is... The wedding. Oh, the wedding was beautiful. That can be yours. Tell me about it. Uh, so the wedding is a beautiful scene. Um, I'm talking about specifically about when the bride walks down the aisle. Um, at first you think like a pipe has busted loose and water is like filling the, the, I don't know, I guess the church. No, the aisle that she has to walk down. Uh-huh. Uh, it's filling the aisle and, um, like little lily pads are slowly going up. But it's the bride is just walking down this water water pathway, and it's gorgeous. It's really dimly lit. It looks very like um, oh, just really natural. And yeah, and, and the lights come up, and the sound in the movie literally drops out. It's pure silence uh-huh. for like seven seconds, and it's, it's, it's really a, visually arresting. It's breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so beautiful. I mean, that's what this movie is here for mm-hmm. to be like. Isn't Singapore great? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, my favorite scene is one of the very first scenes in the movie. It's when Henry asks, wh- no, what's his name? Nick. Nick. I can only remember the actor's name. Um, Nick asks Rachel to come attend his friend's wedding with him in Singapore. And just just a happenstance in this uh, bar where they are, there's this uh, like Asian Radio 1, or some, someone who works for like an, an Asian news organization, mm-hmm. and she overhears that like Rachel Chu is coming to the wedding with him, and she like snaps a picture and sends it to people, and there's this really fun Mean Girls conference call-esque montage mm-hmm. of all of these high society people learning about Rachel and trying to Google her and texting each other pictures, mm-hmm. and it's this really... It's a beautiful it's a beautiful sequence. I, I always love the way that modern technology is portrayed in movies. Or I love paying attention to how it um how it progresses, like how we're starting to incorporate it visually more. Mm-hmm. Um and it's it's just a really cool sequence of like texts and tweets flying around in these beautiful pastel colors and we get to see people staring at their phones in all these exotic locations. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it gets to Michelle Yeoh. Um, in her Bible study group, mm-hmm. um, and she calls Nick, and he's still, st- still literally sitting at the bar. Mm-hmm. Only minutes have passed. Yeah, it's a really funny scene. Yeah, like it's this whole beautiful journey that I think is really, it's just really fun and poppy, and a great way to get into the energy of the movie. Mm-hmm. And then it's that great punchline of no time has passed, and already the word has gotten to his mother in Singapore, mm-hmm. and she, you know, calls in to make sure that he's. He's on check. She he knows his check. place. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, Brendan, would you recommend this movie? Yeah, I, I definitely would. I um, One, on the sense that um, everyone should vote with their wallets that white people can make a movie. Or non-white people can make a movie. Oh, yes. White people can oh my finally God. make a movie. Oh, God. I said Freud. that wrong. 
Freud comes through. No, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I always do want to support these kinds of movies, but mm-hmm. this is one that's 100% like worth the money. I mean, you know, go matinee, go mm-hmm. Tuesday mo- cheap day or whatever. Uh-huh. No but, one should ever pay full price for a movie. Yeah, it's insanely expensive now. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh huh. But you know, if you have some spare cash, definitely go see it. I would say maybe even pay full price for it because it yeah. is the kind of movie that you—it's escapism. Yeah, uh, it's it's a ride. Yeah, uh, you go and you just partake in a world that you're not going to see every so often. Lord knows, not every action movie that Hollywood produces. Uh, gives you the same experience that this one does. Absolutely. And and it's a movie about an American going to an exotic location mm-hmm. where the American is also like a descendant of that location. Yeah, it's not like um, a voyage to India or whatever. Yeah, it's not like a white person exoticizing this culture. It's yeah. someone who knows the language and is familiar with some of the customs but is still mm-hmm. Americanized. Mm-hmm. And so they have that narrative, but it's less icky. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's someone it's less appropriative. Yeah, it's someone who belongs there, experiencing like that culture for the first time. Yeah, but not necessarily belonging there, oh and that's part of the. Never mind. No, because that's part of the conflict of the movie. Yeah, but like it, it, it it's less white oriented. Yes, love it. I mean, I, I love, love it too. Constance Wu make all the movies. Yeah, I hope they so make hopefully, this a new trilogy. Hopefully, it does. We're gonna see how it does this weekend. Um, I'm sure that they're probably gonna green light it. Our theater so. was pretty packed for a Wednesday night movie. Yeah, you're right. So um, here's hoping. Fingers crossed. All right, thanks so much for listening. And uh, All right, yeah, let us know what you guys think about it. Please if do. you enjoy it, write it to us. We'll read your letters or something. I don't know. Sure, maybe. Um, well, We're still kind of figuring this out. Yeah, I mean, sure, why not? So let us know. All right, everybody take care. Until next time, yeah. see you at the movies. Bye. <laughs> Stay gold. That was great. You beautiful people. Good luck on your journey. Looks like a robbery gone wrong to me. This wasn't a robbery. This was a hit. Welcome. Someone out there <gasps> is killing puppets. Review on the thing. On what thing? On the Muppet murders. I don't know if you're in a fit state to talk about the Happy Time murders. I'm so ready. Oh, you want to? I want to. Okay. Hello and welcome back to Scream 101's Patreon feed. I'm Brennan. And I'm Sergio, your favorite. Of the hosts. Um, I think um, you should introduce yourself as Drunk Sergio. <laughs> Look. No. <laughs> okay. I'm sober. I could totally pass a test right now. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, N, O, P. Isn't that what cops have you do? Is recite the alphabet? I think it's backwards. Can you do that? Z, Y, X, W, V, X, U, <laughs> You started so great, I was convinced you could do it, and then it just kind of car crashed. Well, I just wanted to do it really quickly, so let me see if I can do it. Z-Y-X-U-T-V-S-R-Q-P... No, I really can't. <laughs> no, okay, good try. Um, so we're, t- I guess we're talking about the Happy Time murders. Here's the plot synopsis really quick. In the seedy underbelly of Los Angeles, two clashing detectives, one human and the other a puppet, must work together to solve the brutal murders of former cast members of a beloved puppet TV show. What? <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> I thought you might say something. <laughs> Elizabeth Banks was in it. She was. We're spoiling this movie, by the way. Okay, first off, let me just say, Elizabeth Banks, if you're listening, I really do love you. And it isn't just because you're a great actress in movies, but you were in 30 Rock, and I miss Avery's character. 
She had Reagan time with her child, and not enough parents teach their children about the free market economy, and I think that's necessary. Yep, so five out of five for the Happy Time Murders, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, the Happy Time Murders, it's from Brian Henson, the son of Jim Henson. Son or brother? The son. Wow. I did yeah. not know that. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's, you know, it's Muppets, but off-brand, and they have sex and they do drugs and it's a, they say the F word a lot and then they get murdered and it's, it's like, you know, dirty, but it's puppets. So it's supposed to be shocking. Uh-huh. Um, although the thing, the one thing that I approve of about this movie above all else is that Jim Henson actually would not be spinning in his grave over this. Like he was always very, uh, cavalier with the Muppets and yeah. wanted them to be more adult. Wasn't homie like, uh, I'm going to say a chauvinist because he clearly wasn't. But wasn't he like... A lady killer? Yeah, just like down with the system. Um, he was that. But also, like his, uh, he, he never necessarily intended the Muppets to be for children. Mm-hmm. Eventually, like, you know, Sesame Street was for children. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially at the beginning, like his first like draft, his first presentation for what he wanted the show to be was called like Sex and Murder with the Muppets. Because he wanted to... Like, be very clear, this is not a kid's show. Uh-huh. Um, that's cool. Yeah, and that's what this is. So that that is actually, like, the best way to honor his legacy. But it's just not a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I don't know. What, what's your major impression off of it? I know you liked it more than I did. Um, I did. So one of the things that I love about summer movies is that they're just movies where you grab a, bottle, like a bag of popcorn and you show up. You shove you just... it in your purse and you sneak it past the usher. And you just forget about, you know, like what your problems are. And I feel like that. Well, I mean, I don't forget about my problems because, you know, Trump is still president. But uh, <laughs> but I did forget about like what was happening outside of this movie. Like it was such an experience. You're like Michael Cohen, who um, I was transported into the land of Los Angeles where puppets exist. One thing that did detract from that was this idea that the puppets were. A second-class citizen. Yeah, it was very bright. Yeah. Netflix is bright. Netflix is bright. And it didn't really go anywhere. Like, they were... It seemed like they were setting something up, but it really didn't just... It didn't go anywhere. It didn't materialize into any, like, plot fact or anything. Uh Uh-huh. It was just, like, a background detail. And I could have done without it. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. And especially with Melissa McCarthy's character, because her character was the human cop who was the partner of the first puppet cop. And at first it seemed like she was super racist against puppets, but then she just kind of wasn't. Mm-hmm. And She's part puppet. Yeah, her, she okay. has a puppet liver. Yeah, I love that, actually. That detail, the fact that she has a puppet liver, means that uh, she can do, like, sugar, which would kill regular people. But for her, it just makes her incredibly high. And so her apartment is just... Like loaded with sugar, and I love that because yeah, that's puppet ecstasy. Yeah, it's really funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's fine. Funny. Um, it 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 tries to combine the like cutesiness of puppets with evil things. Like, there's a a bunny who p- pisses himself, but it's like purple and glittery, and you're supposed to be like, yay! I liked that. Um, I will say there there was some funny stuff in this movie. There was a lot of funny stuff. Yeah, like um, above all else, there's the. Uh, 
I mean, Maya Rudolph is in this movie, and she's always great. She um, plays. Okay, nothing is funnier than the fact that her name is Bubbles. Yeah, she actually she plays against type. I feel she plays like an airhead receptionist because this is very a very film noir detective movie. Yeah, um, and so that's the character that's there a lot, um, and she's in love with the puppet detective, and um, so yes. Maya Rudolph and Melissa McCarthy get to share a reasonably long couple scenes together, and that is always gold. Um, it was the best part of Life at the Party. It's the best part of this movie. Um, all the mediocre comedies she's been pumping out this year. God, they've done so many movies together now that you mention it. Yeah, Bridesmaids. Life at the Party, this. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no, they're solid gold when they're together. And there mm-hmm. are also some other good lines just scattered about. Yeah, um, one thing I could have... Okay, so one of the big selling points of this movie was the fact that one of, there's like this really raunchy puppet sex scene. Oh, yeah. And I could have done without it because it was just so like, oh my God, I get it. It's puppets having sex. Like, oh, wow. It's, it's very sophomoric. Yeah, it is. It's just really dumb, for lack of a better term. And I don't like using the word dumb, even though I'm using it now. Um, but one of the funny things about this movie was Elizabeth Banks. Yes, she was great. She was playing Marissa Tomei's character from The Wrestler. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a stripper down her luck. Uh-huh. Uh, married to a puppet, which so, yes, was which, a fun fact. Because she was in okay. a lesbian relationship with the puppet. That was the twist, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, was that she was in a lesbian marriage with the puppet. Which, the thing is, um, I that's actually one of my favorite things about this movie, is the way that it... Um, depicts a lesbian marriage as a thing that can just happen and is totally fine Mm -hmm. and makes no comment about it, which Mm -hmm. I thought a movie as like envelope pushy and salacious as it is totally could have like just made a bunch of dumb jokes about it. But no, it's, they were married and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a loving marriage. It was a marriage of like convenience slash evilness trying to steal money or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they, no one was shocked by the fact that two women could be married. Mm hmm. Or a woman and a puppet. Whatever. What's next? Puppets marrying ladies? Um, but no, I, I really liked that. It, it it spoke to a post-Prop 8 world that I I guess I want kind of to live, live in, in, but I want to live in. Uh-huh. I want to live in a world where it's just normal. And it's not like a big thing where like if a movie introduces a queer character, it's like, yes, let's stand up and applaud it. Yeah. Because it deserves recognition. It's just another fact of the movie. Which it kind of was in this movie, and I think it wouldn't be if it weren't for the fact that it weren't puppets. You know what I'm saying? Probably. Because the puppet thing already adds a layer of ridiculousness to Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. So anything can happen, even Mm -hmm. two ladies getting married. Mm -hmm. But but still, it it wasn't played like that, and Uh I appreciated that. Yeah. Um, Other things that I liked about this movie were I really thought the voice behind the main character was really good. Um, I found look him up interesting. I don't know who it was, but he was good. His chemistry with Melissa McCarthy was great. Um, I thought the story was just okay. It was a regular like noir film, but with puppets. It's deeply generic. The plot. Yeah, it's very generic. Um, I did think most of the humor was probably sophomoric, as you said, but it's still all in all enjoyable because it is puppets being raunchy. Like the biggest. Uh, criticism of the movie is also its biggest strength, I think. 
Yeah, and um, there's also some like solid comic actors around the edges too. Like Fortune Feimster has a a small role in one scene of this movie. Yeah, She's there's great. So many like comics that you've probably seen in other movies or other just shows, and you know them from the comedy circuit that finally get their like little break in the movie industry. And I was like, this is dope. I love me some Fortune Feimster. I love me some Michael McDonald. Yeah, they're all great. Yes. Oh, and oh, Phil Phillips, um, the main guy who's played by Bill Beretta, um, who plays well a lot of things, but he plays Pepe the King Prawn most especially. Really? Yeah. And um, I believe Bubba the Bear, but also uh, he's he's taken on some other roles like uh-huh. Swedish Chef after Jim Henson cool. passed. I love like Pepe. Yeah, Bill Pe- Beretta's great. Yeah, Pepe flirted with Whoopi Goldberg once on an episode of The View, and I love me some Pepe. That's so good. Yeah, I love it. Go Pepe. Um. Yes. So, and also, Ben Falcone, Melissa McCarthy's husband, has a cameo. Yeah, and it's funny because she's like, I don't know. We never really talked, but I would totally bang you if I had the opportunity. It's like, we know you've banged. You've made children. Yes, that's the secret. Um, But yes, so, this movie, it happened. Um, I don't know. It, it, it didn't tickle my funny bone as much as I kind of hoped it would, but did not expect it to. Um, I think I ended up giving it like a 4 out of 10 on Letterboxd, and I could be coerced up to like a 5 out of 10 maybe. I would give it a 6 out of 10, and truth be told, that's me being generous because the movie's comedy really never uh, helps it to get stuff out of the plot holes or just the Uh genericness of it all. Um, I completely agree. Yeah, but it is. It did try something slightly new, which is raunchy puppets. And look, I look. I love. I love me some Muppets. So. Uh huh. Yeah, I can't think of the last time I saw raunchy puppets on the silver screen. So I give it credit for that, but it isn't enough for me to be like, okay, you know what, you need to see this movie. It's enough for me to say you can rent it on Redbox. Um, yeah, absolutely. Give Brian, um, Hen- not Brian, Jim, Jim, Brian. Brian Henson is the son. Yeah, Brian Henson, some some street cred, but not enough for me to say, you know what, you really do need to see this movie in theaters because, in truth, it's the same effect if you see it in your tiny TV at home Yeah, that you would see it in theaters. And um, honestly, this is probably Brian Henson's best Muppet movie because he also did a Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island, and I'm not a fan of either of those. Mm-hmm. Um, not having nostalgia for them. Um but yeah, it, it, it's completely fine. I think if you want to watch Muppets being more realistic and just a little more raunchy, I'd suggest the ABC, the short-lived ABC series, The Muppets, um, which is the workplace comedy where Muppets are... It's not... It, look, it's not f- the filthy type of thing, but it's Muppets in more adult roles and plot lines, and it's such a great show. Yeah, and who doesn't love that? And it's the actual Muppets, too. Yeah, you get Miss Piggy... And Kermit, you wrap this up. Yeah, you're actively falling asleep. But yeah, would you recommend this movie or not? You already mentioned it. I already mentioned it. Um, box it. I don't know if I'd recommend it at all, except for like those certain scenes. Yeah, definitely. It's a red box. It's a it's a movie where it's a lazy Sunday. You have nothing going on. You maybe want to laugh every five minutes or so, mm-hmm. and then watch some weird puppets do some stuff. Yeah, it's not. It's groundbreaking as I think it takes itself, but um, if Jim Brian Henson were to release a new movie, I'd definitely be in line to go see it. Okay, I guess you're 
I don't know if he'll fair. get that opportunity following this movie particularly. No. I wonder how he'll do. We'll have to see. We'll have to wait till tomorrow, Sunday. Sure. For the for the receipts to roll. Yeah, for box office mojo to tell us what to think. Anyway, it's time to go night night. So um, we'll see you soon on you good old Patreon buddies. And thank you so much for subscribing. Yeah, and good luck on your journey, beautiful people. Yeah, stay gold. See dog. My name is Lisa. I'm the general manager, and my girl just said you got a little disrespectful with her. Hi, Sergio. Hi, Brennan. Uh, what are we here to talk about today? We're here to talk about a little movie called Support the Girls. And yes, it may be little, but think of it as the Mrs. Dalloway of film. Why would I do that? Because it tells the story of a woman on a regular day. Is that what Mrs. Dalloway does? Yeah. Have you read it? No. So how do you know? Because uh, I know. Okay. Um, here's the plot synopsis of Support the Girls. Lisa is the general manager of Double Whammies, a sports bar that features skimpily dressed waitresses. Always nurturing and protective of her staff, she soon faces one trying day that tests her optimism at every turn. And Lisa, we should mention, is played by Regina Hall of Girls Trip and a lot of stuff. And scary movie. Yeah, and okay, Law that's Daughter the one. Los Angeles, which did not get the second and third and fourth season that it deserved. She also didn't get the whole season that she deserved, but that's my qualms with Dick Wolf. Um, so, Brennan. Yes. Do me a favor. Yes. Can you look up the synopsis to Mrs. Dalloway? Okay. Yeah, this is very important. Um, no, but yeah, it, it's definitely, it's, if you will allow me to get really pretentious and film schooly for a minute. If you will allow what? me the favor. I'm, it's loading. Okay, okay. Then yes, I will allow you this this courtesy. Okay. So, um, yeah, it <laughs> basically support the girls is a quotidian odyssey. Um, for the record, quotidian means like, like uh, mundane, like your daily routine and just stuff like, like that. Yeah. Sure. You, you've also not read Ulysses, so you got to stop pulling these literary references in. Okay. Babe. The name Ulysses. Okay. Just the name Ulysses. Where is it from? If not the Odyssey. Oh, I thought you were trying. I thought you were trying to bring in James Joyce. No, I was, but it's oh. specifically a reference to the Odyssey. Okay. So, like, you can see that connection. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Sure. Like it's like it's very obvious, is what I'm saying. Okay, I'm sorry. You're you're right. Okay. Um. No, but and like I I wasn't specifically referring to the Odyssey, but just like an Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um. But it it spins her like normal day into something like huge and like meaningful and powerful and interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Um. And here's Mrs. Dalloway's plot synopsis because everyone needs that. Clarissa Dalloway goes around London in the morning getting ready to host a party. The nice day reminds her of her youth, yada, yada, yada. Um, something, some other guy, a veteran, spends a day with someone else, and he has hallucinations. Gross. Um, and then she has a party. Okay, yeah. So you're right. It's like one day. And yeah. It's a whole thing. Um, so that was fun for everyone. Um, what was your favorite part of Support the Girls, which we're spoiling, by the way? Um, my favorite part of the movie... I anticipate this question. Um, come back to me. Okay. Um, did you have a favorite character? Favorite character? Oh, Regina Hall was great. Yeah. Um, favorite of the girls? Um, the other two were also great. So I liked all three girls with Regina Hall being number one. Okay. I'm really basic that way. You just like everyone. You're I, so generous and I open-hearted. Really um, I really liked Danielle. 
who um, she's played by a rapper whose name I will not repeat. Um, you can repeat it if you want. Pussy something? Jungle. Pussy jungle. No, it's reverse. Jungle pussy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> pussy jungle. I was like, let's get a weed whacker in yeah. there. Her name is Ruby Fruit Jungle. And no, just kidding. Um, that was a joke for only me. Okay. Or 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 any like uh, well-read lesbians out there. <laughs> so Danielle was your favorite. Yeah, I just liked her a lot. Um, she had this very sleepy way of talking. Uh huh. Um, that was just like, I don't know. It. I think she's the type of person that if you just met her like during a brief interaction, like at a checkout stand or something, you would assume she was dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's absolutely not. She's just like very chill. Mm-hmm. And possibly stoned, but I don't think so. Yeah, she, I really liked her vibe. It was, she was good. Yeah, she I, was so like casual. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just that performance was really layered because she mm-hmm. has this really emotional moment towards the end of the film, and it you can like see her building toward it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this like really kind of slow burn, like chill kind of way. Mm-hmm. I do think her character was far more complex than you would expect. Uh, an actress, and what I'm assuming is her debut feature, uh, who's a rapper to have. Yeah, no, it's definitely everyone has this kind of layered complexity to their very simple characters mm-hmm. that could have just been caricatures. Mm-hmm. Especially Haley Lou Richardson, who plays the like absurdly cheery girl. I loved her energy. She was so good. Yeah, she's got she's vivacious. She's got a lot of pep. She provides. My big laugh out loud moment of the movie also. Oh, when she scares her boss <laughs> yeah. with the little sprinkler thing. Yeah. Um, so Regina Hall's having a really tough moment. She's having a bad day. Uh-huh. Let me just tell you what. Um, I think she just got fired actually uh, right before this scene, uh-huh. but she's also getting separated from her husband and she's dealing with a bunch of different crises at work and trying to just take care of these girls and make sure they're okay. Uh-huh. Um, and so she's just like having a moment to herself sitting outside, like outside the door of the restaurant, um, the back door and uh-huh. Haley Richardson just bursts through the door and she has a confetti cannon and it just explodes. And Regina Hall is like, Wah! Mm-hmm. and she's like, you're the best boss ever. And then she runs back inside. Yeah, It's so good. It's a really good scene. It really um, catches you off guard. Just like Regina Hall. It does catch you off guard. Cause by that point I've, like, I saw the trailer for the movie, so I was expecting that scene. At oh, some point. that was in the trailer? That was in the trailer. Oh, that's too um, bad. But you're still caught off guard because you're so unwrapped in this woman's, like, her life and what it is, what it is that's bringing her down, and you want her to succeed. So it's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, uh, like, every interaction she has with anyone is so interesting. There are a lot of the side characters who aren't really explored that much, but mm-hmm. I find them all pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Like, like Arturo? Yeah, like Arturo, the cook um, who gets in trouble because he basically was trying to convince his cousin to steal from the store and mm-hmm. his cousin fails and gets trapped in the vent. Mm-hmm. That's one of the many things that she has to deal with this one day. Uh-huh. And the way she deals with Arturo is so human and warm and you can just tell how sad she is uh-huh. because of the decision that he made and how she has to respond to it. Uh-huh. And it's just really heartbreaking this movie it's heartbreaking because like you know for the most part most people have worked like a service industry job and you know you're only there because you really do need the money and some people who work those jobs need the money more than the person next to them and you get the feeling that Arturo is one of those people who yes he is doing something bad but it's like who can fault him almost yeah he needs the money like he has a family to support and he's not getting the money he needs Mm -hmm. 
And also a character that I really liked was Bobo, the like lesbian uh Yeah, from Origins in the Black. Frequent customer. Oh, is she from that? Yeah. Who's she playing on that? Not that I would know. She plays Boo Boo, I think. Really? So it's just the exact same thing? I think that's the name of her character. I think you're Or Boo, I think it's just Boo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I liked her very much. And I just I just think that um Every character in this movie has like just a little bit of time to shine, mm-hmm. including uh, was it Ali or AJ Machalka? It was the one that's not in as many things. I think it was AJ. I think it was AJ. She's the one that was a tattoo, right? Yeah, she had a lot of very funny sequences, and she was like barely in it. Mm-hmm. I loved her stealing the alcohol. Okay, that was great. I'm thinking about that too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, do, have you thought about a favorite moment of the movie yet? Favorite moment of the movie. Okay. Um, I was so wrapped in our conversation, I haven't time to think. Um, my favorite moment in the movie is going to be... I liked the scene where they were all drinking at the bar. Um, oh, yeah. That was... Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It wasn't like a rev- like a revelatory moment. Like, oh, my no, God, and so much happened. But not, it was such a sweet moment. I don't moment. think any moment in the movie is like that. Uh-huh. But it was just a sweet moment where she invited her friend, Machalka, whatever... Like, for a drink, she was like, we both got fired. Like, let's just sit here and have uh-huh. a drink at the end of a long day. And I thought the movie was going to end there. Um, it could have. Because the, the ending's probably the weakest part. Mm-hmm. Except for the very end where they're screaming on the rooftop. And uh-huh. it's like a good cathartic moment. Uh-huh. Um, which, who hasn't wanted to do that, to uh-huh. be quite honest? Um, I liked that part. Another thing that I'm thinking of, another fake-out ending, was when... Um, so, something that she does in this movie... Is one of her girls is like needs a lawyer because she ran over her boyfriend's Ooh, foot. Yeah, that um, that was a rough scene. Uh-huh. So she raises all this money for her. She essentially loses her job over this girl because she yeah. loves her. And one of my favorite things that Danielle says is like, "Why are you doing it for her? She's a dumb bitch." Like, <gasps> oh yeah, gonna... yeah. No, that that's why Danielle's just so casual and so right. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. But then, like, Regina Hall's like, but she's family. And then Danielle's like, I have family, too, and they're dumb bitches, and I wouldn't do this for them yeah. either. Um, but whatever. So she raises all this money for her, so then she gives it to her. Um, but as she's leaving her apartment, because she's staying with them, it's revealed that she's with the boyfriend, who is an abusive boyfriend and terrible. Yeah, so it's revealed that she's going to stay with the boyfriend and not use um, the money for legal fees, like, in a lawsuit with the boyfriend. Mm-hmm. So she's just taking the money. She's just taking the money and going with him. And it's kind of implied, possibly, that uh, he does drugs or sells drugs. Um, he mentioned yeah. product. You know, we're not going to waste a sell on product. Um, and then it's clear that he also wants the money for whatever reason. So it seems like he's pulling the strings and that she's just, like, he's essentially, like, he's just a bad dude. Yeah. Like, you know, we've all seen people who are in bad relationships and he's just a bad dude. And she, like, stands around and is like, you're not leaving this house with that money. Like, you can do what you want. You know, she's a grown woman. I can't stop you. Uh-huh. Uh, um, but you're not leaving here with that money. Like, I will not be a part of this. Yeah. Uh, perpetuating this relationship. But it's just it's a hard scene. It's a hard scene. Because in that scene, you see her really be, like, a mother and be vulnerable and weak. And it was just, mm-hmm. it was a hard scene. No, there's a lot of really hard scenes for Regina Hall. And, like, in in true, like, low-key indie movie fashion, you, you don't know that everything is going to be okay. No. Like, not everything is tied up in this neat little bow, but mm-hmm. you get the sense that, like, she got something out of what led her here. Mm-hmm. And that's at least worthwhile. 
Um, and that's great. Um, what else was I going to say? Like, it's just, it's a nice movie. It's very funny a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the car wash, there's a new recruit hire played by Xanthippe from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, who I thought mm-hmm. was very funny too. Because she's trying to like use her marketing major to, I don't know, break the rules and she thinks she's smarter than everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, this movie is very simple. It's very pared down. Um, the way I would describe it is it's like if you put a farce in slow motion. Because the if this movie was 22 minutes long and much faster, it would be like a door-slamming sitcom bottle episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like very slow. I think it loses a bit of its momentum when she leaves the restaurant because it continues for quite a while after that, mm-hmm. which I don't think I needed. But I liked it very much. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, you're right. Because well, that middle section, because the movie is clearly in three sections, uh-huh. um, beginning, middle, and end. Um, <laughs> okay, but that middle section where it's just the girls at the restaurant like deciding what it is they're going to do with their lives. It was a little bizarre. Um, I did like how they essentially like wanted to give a shout out to her. They were like, you know what, this one goes to our homegirl who left. Uh huh. Um, and I thought it was really sweet. And it's like, I wish if I were to ever leave a minimum wage job. Which I have that they would mourn my my leaving like that. Yeah, you you wish people would like remember you mm-hmm. as someone like kind of important in their, in your their lives in any small way. Mm-hmm. Especially like she was like married to her job, mm-hmm. and I'm sure there's plenty of stuff about the patriarchy because they're working at a Hooters style restaurant, and mm-hmm. it's like a woman, a black woman too, in mm-hmm. charge of all of this. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a lot of subtext there that we're not super equipped to talk about mm-hmm. um but it's just a very good movie mm-hmm. well i think it was you know this was a woman who knew how to do her job and knew how to do it respectfully uh-huh. um because she didn't give into any of the uh the easily sluttiness that could have happened because you see xanthopy's character doing that yes she's trying very hard to be a porn star yeah um she really like um you know, goes all out during the car wash and then she has that boob scene. God, yeah, there's a scene where she just like pokes her nipple out, which is crazy. Uh-huh. I don't see how that could have helped. Um, you see her just try and be like a drunk girl trying to appeal to them and it's just, just this weird like train wreck of a scene. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, maybe Regina Hall really didn't know what she was doing. Maybe this girl who clearly is a girl of privilege because she's a marketing major or whatever, um, you know, just didn't know. And so Regina Hall props to her character yeah she she's play acting she's mm-hmm. she's someone who doesn't need to be there mm-hmm. who's this is not her like last resort mm-hmm. yeah so would you recommend this movie to oh i definitely would listeners? recommend it i would definitely recommend it i would totally like put this movie on and make my mom watch it like it's a movie that has wide range and audiences that it can appeal to yeah i agree i would also highly recommend it it's definitely one of the top five movies of the year for me so far mm-hmm. um behind like revenge and probably tied with mamma mia too so um yeah i i I think it's very good it's a very quiet movie Mm -hmm. it's not something you can like rhapsodize about Mm -hmm. necessarily but it's very sweet and funny and Mm heartrending yeah it's one of those movies that you really just didn't expect to be as good as it was yeah i was just expecting like an hour and a half of just laughs not to really be kind of like emotionally wrecked at the end of it but i was and i enjoyed it for that Right now, it's probably competing with Tully for my number one. 
Oh, okay. For my best movies of the year, mm-hmm. only because those are my two that I really enjoy. Well, that's cool. Um, I'm glad that you enjoyed Tolly so much. Um, I didn't, but that's fine. You don't have to agree with me, and you rarely do, so that's good that you don't have to. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, let's wrap up, because as, as always, this has gone way further than 10 minutes, so thank you so much for listening and donating to our Patreon. Have a wonderful day. Good luck on your journey, everybody. And stay gold. A few weeks ago, I met Emily, this wonderful, elegant person. Our sons brought us together, actually. Come here, little dude. Can me and Miles have a play date today? Your drink? Hello, and welcome to a 10-minute review of A Simple Favor. What? We saw a 10-minute review? We saw A Simple <laughs> Favor? When did we do that? I don't know, a couple days ago? Okay. A month ago? Who knows? Cool. So long ago. Here's the plot. Um, a simple favor centers around Stephanie, Anna Kendrick, a mommy vlogger who seeks to uncover the truth behind her best friend Emily, a uh, Blake Lively, her sudden disappearance from their small town. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie is from the darker side of Paul Feig, who directed Bridesmaids and The Heat and the Ghostbusters remake and Spy, aka Spy is great. Um, and it, it's basically like a sharp toothed parody of Gone Girl. Um, do you, do you think this movie like kind of captured that Gone Girl-esque tone accurately? Cause I know you really loved Gone Girl and like those types of movies. Um, no, not at all. No, no. Oh, okay. How or why not? Oh, you never really got the feeling that she was gone. Really? Yeah. Did you not think she was, no. Spoil- we're spoiling this movie by the way. Did you not think she was dead at all ever? No. I thought maybe, but I was like, the movie's clearly progressing. So clearly she's not. It's not like it's the end. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I mean... Did you feel that it was Gone Girl-esque? Well, yeah. I mean, it was aping that formula. It was, but it was mocking it. Yeah, but... Yeah, that, that's what I said. No, I know. Yeah, I know, but, like... So it's mocking it, so it's not really, like, doing... It's not Gone Girl, then. Okay. Um. Well, did did you feel like it was a... The the things that it chose to kind of make light of were the right like tropes to kind of make it feel like Gone Girl, hmm. and I I just think that's kind of fun. Um, yeah, I think that's I think the movie itself was good. Okay, don't let me get don't get me wrong. I think uh-huh. it's good, but I don't necessarily know what tropes again you're talking about. Well, I mean, the woman disappears, and it's part of this like crazy duplicitous scheme. She fakes mm-hmm. her own death. She's like this crazy murder lady. Mm-hmm. It's literally Gone Girl. Like, but with a mommy vlogger plugged in, that's like pretty much what it is. Okay. Or like a girl on the train situation, like a woman disappears and we're trying to figure out what it is. There's an unreliable, like, I never saw that figure. movie. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. It wasn't that good. I heard it wasn't good from you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, what, what did you like about it then? Um, I like the chemistry between the characters. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about, I guess, the Gong Girl setup that you insist is there, uh, I liked, uh, I liked the reveal. I liked figuring out how it was that it went down. I don't necessarily know if I was surprised, um, because again, there was like little, little sprinkles throughout that this was not what we were told it was. Uh huh. You know, all was not right in Denmark, so to speak. Well, did it make you? tense at all because of that because obviously like there's something crazy going on did it make me tense like were you wondering what was going to happen next 
No, because the movie throughout was, again, like, she's a mommy vlogger. She's really sweet and saccharine. Mm-hmm. Um, the music throughout was really peppery. And, the, and French and beautiful. And yeah, the general tone of the movie told me that everything was going to just be playful and fun. Like, you, you felt the stakes weren't, like, life and death because it was so, like, fluffy. Yeah. And even when the movie got, you know, when the ante was upped, uh-huh. it was still playful and fun. And it was still joking in, like, the way that it handled its situations. You are right. Especially, like, the, like, finale sequence mm-hmm. is pretty cartoonish. Mm-hmm. With, like, Andrew Rannells hitting Blake Lively with his car. It, it's very silly. Mm-hmm. Which is why I had something of an issue with you saying that it's gone girl-esque when it's really just using the outline of it. It's not really like honoring it or even invoking it. Okay. So you, you don't feel like it captured any of that tone because I mean, obviously it's parodying that, uh-huh. but but a lot of good parodies do are also good entries in that genre. Uh-huh. But you think this one wasn't necessarily that? No. Okay. Um, because it was completely, at least to me, it was completely uh, void of mystery and suspense. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I think the, there was a lot of uh, plot twists and things that I thought were interesting. And mm-hmm. Maybe, you know what, maybe I will like rescind or walk back that, mar- like, that statement just a uh-huh. little bit. Because when I left the movie, I did think it was a good like, entry into the like, film noir type of thing, uh-huh. which is kind of what Gone Girl is. I think I just have a problem with likening it to Gone Girl. You're just very defensive of Gone Girl. Yeah. I was really taken with that movie. So, yeah. I'm sorry for bringing it up then. Um, but anyway, I actually did read that the book has somewhat of a darker ending, actually. Really? Because um, I think the Anna Kendrick character actually gets sent to jail or something like that. Like, it, it's not happy. And I think the Henry Golding character actually dies. Which, that was definitely a pulled punch. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Golding from Crazy Rich Asians plays Blake Lively's husband, who gets kind of mixed up in this weird disappearance, maybe insurance scam, mm-hmm. like all like crazy twist-filled thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just gets shot in the shoulder at one point, and it's like, that definitely could have been in his heart. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. We don't need him in the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Although, I will say, he's so hot. He's very pretty. And also the best thing about this movie was the ladies behind us actively gasping when he walked on screen for the first time. Uh-huh. I felt them so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, what as an actor, I don't know that he's necessarily like A+. I think he has a very soothing voice. Like he could be he's our next. Charming. Yeah, he's charming. It's the accent. It's the fact that he's, you know, exotic. Um and I mean exotic because of the accent. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, he's just, you know, suave. Yeah, he's he's suave. He's very charismatic and suave. He's very and, Hugh Grant. Yeah, he's a movie star. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, all of his lines, he just says very calmly. Like, he's narrating a nature documentary. Mm-hmm. Like, he's always like, my wife would never do this. Or he's like, why did you shoot me in the shoulder? It's very just leveled like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, was there anything you disliked about the movie other than me comparing it to Gone Girl? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> it was fun. It was a really good movie. I would recommend everyone to go watch it. Uh, anything that I didn't like, without spoiling it, um, I thought that uh, 
some of the jokes were probably a little too much. Namely, Blake Lively has a reference for Anna Kendrick throughout the movie after she discovers her biggest secret. Ah, uh, yes. And that's me was just like, whoa, like, I can't believe we went there. We really didn't need to go there, but we did. I thought that was interesting. I mean, it, I think that that's the thing that made me realize, like, oh, this movie is doing so- or trying something or, like, pushing the envelope in some way because mm-hmm. it does feel very safe mm-hmm. except for that element, mm-hmm. which I will not spoil except to say that the gentleman concerned is very attractive. It is me. He's talking about me. Yes. I'm beautiful. It's true. Um, but, yes, so that was, yeah, pretty intense. What did you think of the kind of uh, peanut gallery of other um, parents in the area who were oh, I kind love of that. commenting on things? It I was... love that. Um, I thought it was unnecessary because it Absolutely. felt like we cut to them at random intervals and it was just like, here's this commentary from people who are not on scene. Um, yeah, that, that felt very much like a different Paul Feig movie kind of jumping in every now and then. It felt like freaking Family Guy where there was just cutaway scenes to random people for no reason. Uh, but I enjoyed it just because I liked uh, two out of the three side people. Andrew Rannells and Aparna Nontrula. Yeah. I don't remember who the third person was, but I feel like I liked them. Me neither. Some white lady. Oh. She was good, too. Yeah. Everybody in this movie was good. Yeah. No, it, it's just it's solid and frothy fun mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Would you say you'd recommend it to people? Absolutely. To in the theaters? One person who I probably didn't like was probably the, um, uh, what's his name? That comedian you like? He's loud. He screams at people in New York. Billy Eichner? Yeah, Billy Eichner. He wasn't uh, in this. I know he wasn't. Let me finish. Okay. Um, the Billy Eichner type fashion designer. He just looked oh. like Billy Eichner. Oh, so you, he just looked like someone you don't like. Yeah, that was enough for me to okay. like, hate him. So if you're very petty like Sergio, don't see this movie. Um, no, I'm just like, they can recast him for reshoots. Sure. Um, I did, you know who I did like who never gets enough credit? Um, Bashir Salahuddin. He plays the like uh, FBI investigator. Um, he's an African American oh, gentleman. Yeah. yeah, I love him. He's he's got this very friendly adverse adversary relationship with um the couple at the center of this mm-hmm. mystery. He was um, in Looking. Yes, he he was in Looking, and he's also in Glow. He plays relentlessly supportive husbands in both of those TV shows. Uh-huh. Um, I, I really, really like him and I think he's very good in this movie too. Um, I would also recommend you check it out in theaters, but if you miss it, that's fine too. Just check it out in general. It's definitely, do you think this will end up on your top 10 of the year? It's hard to say. Um, Uh it was good for what it did. (laughs) That's dumb. Uh, Uh, it did something interesting. It stuck with me enough to recommend it to people like when, uh, I saw people the day after. I was like, you know what? A simple favor was good. You should go see it. Mm-hmm. Um, and unlike Hellfast, which was another movie I saw this weekend, that it was like, you know, in one eye, out the other. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. That's it. That's quite an image. Um, well, I was trying to think because it's not like it's in one ear and out yeah, the yeah. other. Uh, so, yes, it was good. Um, I really, It really does depend on what other kinds of comedies I see this year because I would okay. probably liken it to other comedies and not dramas, which tend to rank higher. Okay. That makes sense. That that makes a lot of sense. That's unfair to the movie, but that's just, you know, the way I rank yeah. things. And I would say it's definitely it's, – it's, it's, um, it's light and it's elegant and it's fun. And it will probably end up in the lower sector of my top ten, but I think it definitely has a place there. Mm-hmm. If not, it will definitely get an honorable mention of some sort. All right. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much for listening and subscribing to our Patreon. And just, you know, just have a great day. Yeah, everybody go watch A Simple Favor.
Sure do. Bye. That didn't make sense. Bye. <laughs>
I don't know what they are. Mm-hmm. It's a little meta about that. Because mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, it's a very simple story, and it's one that has been told a lot in a in ways that aren't specifically A Star is Born. Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's it's about a couple where one star is on the rise and one star is falling, and that's mm-hmm. a challenging thing. Like, especially if you are the one with more power in your relationship or more money or whatever, mm-hmm. um, capitulating to the fact that the other person is kind of usurping you in your position. Um, I mean, in, in a perfect world, it, it wouldn't feel that way. Um, but we definitely don't live in a perfect world. If we were in a perfect world, Lady Gaga would play both parts in this movie. <laughs> she would direct. It would just be one long Lady Gaga music video. I would, I would be in. Um, anyway, I have so many notes on this. And let's see what the first one is. Oh, I mean, spoilers again. There's only so much I can watch Bradley Cooper relapsing into alcoholism. Mm-hmm. There's like 30 scenes of him like looking at a beer and then drinking it and then going crazy. And then Lady Gaga yells at him. Mm-hmm. And it was a little formula. I mean, it was very formulaic. Um, but the repetition is annoying. Yeah. This movie's like two and a half hours long. It, or maybe like two hours, 15. Uh-huh. And it, it, it's really gruelingly repetitive at certain points, especially as it comes to Bradley Cooper, uh-huh. who I think gets foregrounded by his director, Bradley Cooper. <laughs> um, you liked his performance though, right? I thought he was really good. I was surprised with the level of acting that I got out of him, only because I don't think he ever stood out to me beforehand. And I was like, well, the guy from The Hangovers is capable of this. Hmm. Um, it was really good. Okay. His directing left something to be imagined, but I mean, you know, for a first time, it was pretty good. Okay, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't get lost in his character because he was just, it was he was so gruff and like. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally think because um, his he ha- his character has a much older brother who is played by Sam Elliott. I was conflicted by their ages, but continue. No, it, it, it's specifically a plot point that his dad was too old to be having a kid and he had a kid with a woman who was too young to be having a kid mm-hmm. and that's why he ended up not having parents basically okay um so that is a plot point that i think i missed the nuance in that fact i knew that his mother was like a child bride or whatever i just didn't catch the fact that his father was just too old to be having a son yeah well his father was in his 60s and his mother was like 17 mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i know um but anyway, gross. <laughs> um, but yes, no. So Sam Elliott plays Bradley Cooper's brother, and I think Bradley Cooper built his performance backwards from trying to match how Sam Elliott talks. Mm-hmm. So it's very gravelly and kind of southern, and it's just it honestly. I think there's an argument, like a queer argument, for this film that both of these performers are are drag performers because Lady Gaga is a female drag queen. Mm-hmm. She goes crazy and she dresses up but i think bradley cooper in this movie is being a drag king like he is playing masculinity to the hilt in this really bizarre way that i don't know that i liked but it is kind of intoxicating because he's so lost in it Mm -hmm. i don't know how much water this theory holds of yours but i appreciate it well thank you um i just there's uh, look, I had to think about something while he was going, uh, give me news beer, Lady Gaga. Why can't you understand me? You're talking like mm-hmm. this. I want to get another look at you. Mm-hmm. Honestly, he reads every line like he's about to tear at her heart and eat it raw. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, I found the relationship really creepy, honestly. 
Um, did you feel like they were genuinely in love or were you... Did it you- was really sudden. Like, f- not to, again, knock the movie, but I felt uh-huh. like they were in love all of a sudden. It was like one night and he was like, I have to like see this woman forever and ever again. Uh-huh. Uh, so yeah. I didn't care for that. No, yeah, and and I I think Lady Gaga or Allie, her character Allie, made a lot of yes. Um, she she made a lot of choices that I'm sure people make, and I'm sure it's realistic, but it's just Mm -hmm. not not something that I can relate to or respond to, and Mm -hmm. I think are very bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, what the hell? What Jackson? He uh, Bradley Cooper's character. He goes on a bender and. Dave Chappelle in his one scene in the movie like pulls him out of the bushes and mm-hmm. helps him like revive and she flies down to Tennessee or wherever to go talk to him she's like this is the last time I'm going out of my way to like save you from yourself or whatever and then that same evening he proposes to her and she says yes mm-hmm. and it's like did you how did you think this was gonna go Lady Gaga mm-hmm. like this is not gonna work out for you although uh, that, that's that this happens a lot in relationships and I'm mm-hmm. so aware that like this cycle happens to a lot of people yeah but it's just hard to watch because i'm already not invested in their relationship and i don't believe in their love necessarily mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um although i did love the shout out to our other queen of pop carly ray jepson because this is a reference i'll have to explain to everyone including you um but she has a song on an early album called guitar string and it goes if you cut a piece of guitar string i would wear it like it's a wedding ring wrapped around Okay, continue. Make her point. I mean. Make anyway. point or a mic dropping. Okay, so he cuts off a piece of guitar string and proposes to her with it and makes it into a ring. And it was a glorious scene. Yeah. But like you said, I was annoyed by the fact that she just accepted it with like no conditions. Not like we're going to go to rehab first and get you clean and sober. Yeah, and like no, no prenup. Well, that was his mistake. That was but, a smart move on her part. Uh-huh. Anyway, I, I just I found the romance creepy. I mean, there's the iconic moment in the trailer of him, you know, hey, I want to get another look at you. I just and that it. happened twice. Yes, so they knew how important it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's it's just creepy. All of their um, interactions are about her looks. It's her saying, "Oh, I think I'm ugly," and him saying, "No, you're beautiful to me, mm-hmm. even though your nose is crazy or whatever." Mm-hmm. And it, it it's just. I don't think it's as creepy as you're making it out to be, nor is his performance or her performance like as dragalicious as you're making it out to be. Uh-huh. Um, but it's just, it's to me, it's cookie cutter. That is cutter. true. It's no, just run of the mill average. And so it lends itself to being mocked in crazy ways. As I, you are I, I guess you're right. Um, yeah. Cause it, it's not, it's just, it, this really is very middle of the road to me. Mm-hmm. It's like someone, made walk the line but the songs weren't already famous like it's you know the johnny cash movie no i know i'm trying to think like what do you mean by that phrase well it just it feels like a music biopic mm-hmm. it's like here's how this lady got her start and this guy's struggling with his alcoholism even though he's famous mm-hmm. but it's just the songs aren't johnny cash songs they're just mm-hmm. whatever whoever I, mm-hmm. I don't know who wrote these songs i should look that up um but it all feels i mean like the title track pretty shallow Mm -hmm. like it's it's been done before quite Mm -hmm. literally because this is what the fifth version of this exact movie Mm -hmm. but i don't know it it was it just it didn't really do it for me in most of its aspects Mm -hmm. except for one what was the one which is the song shallow which is actually great and i love it oh 
Um, like I know I've kind of like critiqued the movie. Uh-huh. Which might leave like a sour note in people's mouths, but ultimately, I think the movie is good. I think it's a movie that has replayability that people will add to their collections, in the way that people like you know Lifetime movies like Beaches, and uh, what's another like The Judge, like movies that there might not be a lot of heavy substance in it. The acting might not be out of this world, but it's a good story, and you like the characters, and so you you revisit it. Yeah, it's, yeah there's it's, a reason they're remaking this movie. It's because it has an audience that's built in, that's seen other kinds of movies like this that you know, and I'm happy for it. Yeah, and it, it's melodrama, and I will say, um, other than the song Shadow, which I really really enjoy, um, this is a movie where Lady Gaga punches a cop, so that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can't say I expected that to ever be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it it tries to be too realistic um, to the point that it's more weird melodramatic elements just don't fly for me. Um, and I'm specific. You mean because it was kind of like shaky cam, like almost like docu style? Um, not necessarily that, but it, it was trying to feel like gritty and down to earth and real or whatever. Mm. Um, but then there's the parts where Lady Gaga suddenly a song springs forth from her and she's like, she writes shallow, like in the, in the parking lot with Bradley Cooper. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly the next day he's like, Oh, I made an arrangement of it. And they sing this full song together. And it's like, she she didn't write. She only wrote a verse of this song Mm -hmm. and somehow they're doing a full song. Mm -hmm. It's very glee. Like with no prep, they can perform Mm -hmm. like a full three minute song that they just Mm -hmm. wrote. And it, it just, I don't believe it. And this movie, I don't think, understands anything about the songwriting process because every time they're like, oh, I wrote a song, they're like, oh, it fell out of my brain. The muse struck. I wrote an entire song in two minutes. And it's like, that's not how this works. Um, Born the Nut, like Edge of Glory was written in like 20 minutes. So songwriting is different every time. No, it, it's different every time. But every time in this movie, it takes 20 seconds. They just got to write it on down. Well, do you really want to see like a 20-minute process of where they write a song? Like That's not the point of this movie. The point of this movie is a love story, which I think they do tell. Uh-huh. No, but honestly, music-wise, I think the... Obvi- Again, this movie's not a musical. I hate you so much. We've had this it conversation a, look, multiple times. It's look, a movie with music. It's not a musical. Okay, uh, that's a semantical argument, um, but it has a soundtrack that is chock full of songs, mostly Bradley Cooper songs, so fuck that. But um, anyway... So I think Shallow is far and away the... I mean, it's the song that's going to get nominated for Oscars and stuff. It's the leader song of this movie. They did a good job pointing that out, though. Like, this is the song they're going to lead with. Oh, yeah. No, but I, I for once, like most leader songs from musicals I don't love. Like, for The Greatest Showman, This Is Me is not the song I would have chosen. Or the performance I would have chosen. Mm-hmm. For Coco, Remember Me is not the song I would have chosen. Um, but for A Star Is Born, this song is the one because the other ones just feel paler than it. Um, So what I would have liked maybe a little more is watching shallow develop into a song. Like she has this verse. He helps her with the instrumentation. Mm -hmm. We get to see them build it together. Mm -hmm. And that way I would have believed their relationship more too. I think it was a good metaphor for their relationship. Like they made it quick and just like their love, it was really instant. And so it showed just how like, you know, I don't know, passionate their relationship was. They were on a different kind of level of connection that neither you or not, you or I have not experienced, but I hope that one day we can. Ooh, smart surge is coming to play. I like that concept. I don't know if... Look, I'm not saying that it was executed perfectly. Yeah, no. (laughs) 
Um, but what I'm saying is, is that the movie, its whole thing was not songwriting. It's not a movie about songwriting. It's a movie about a star well, being born. Yeah, but I, 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 I wish. We, what? No, just make your point. No, I'm just saying. I, I wish we'd seen Bradley Cooper doing more to birth her. I guess. Uh huh. Um, because it, it kind of is like this story. Debatably, he did allow that to happen because his death kind of did allow her to spoilers. fully. <laughs> well, yeah, spoilers. Um, his, I mean, the movie's based on like five different things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, his death allowed her to blossom and to truly become the artist that she was meant to be. No longer was she Allie, but now she was Allie, you know, the grieving widow of Jackson. Uh huh. So, you know, her artistry got to be shown. So. Maybe he did give birth to the real her. No, I mean, no, he did. But, like, I I feel like I wish there was more of a push and pull there. Like, he was more instrumental in her becoming famous. Like, obviously he was because he gave her her shot. He put her on stage and he performed with her. But I wish he'd been more of a mentor to her in a way. So it felt more that she was, like, leeching from him. Because I think that's the the story of A Star is Born. Mm -hmm. It's one person kind of sucking all of the power out of the other person. And that's just not a dynamic I felt in this movie. Necessarily. He was sucking the life out of her. No, I... I... Look, the movie that you wanted, I think you went in with way too many expectations for this movie. No, this movie gave me those expectations. Because I was watching it and I was like looking at the skeleton of what the story could be Mm -hmm. and feeling what was missing. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I've never seen a version of a star is born before. I didn't know. I didn't know he died. I knew it was the rising, falling star situation, mm-hmm. like the contrast. But I didn't know the whole situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you. Like you're being way too mean on this movie. I I was bored by it. I just didn't really like it. What's something that you love? Try sell me on this movie. Something that I loved. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're putting me on the spot here. I'm sorry. Um, I liked. His musician. I believed him as a musician. Yeah, like he had the charisma and kind of... the charisma of a star. I believed his talent. I know you hated his gruff voice, but I thought it lended itself really well to the crunchy music thing. Okay. All crunchy musicians sound this way. Um, You know... Like an Eddie Vedder or Dave Grohl or something. Sure. Okay. (laughs) You know more country musicians than I. Um, Neither of them are country, but that's fine. mm -hmm. You know, just folksy. Uh, The look was good. Uh, The alcoholism, I believed. Uh... I did believe he was an addict. He did uh-huh. seem to have those kinds of tendencies that I've seen in addicts before. So I thought okay. I did a decent job. Again, not great. I'm not saying that this movie was excellent and that I'm adding it to my shelf, but I'm saying that it's not as bad as you're making it out to be. Okay. Um, I did like the sense of humor that the movie had, like in their interactions. Like mm-hmm. they, they had real chemistry. Yeah, they did. And, and his gruffness did actually l- lend to the comedy because just the the way that he could be gentle and funny at the same time as being all gruff and irritating. Mm-hmm. Like th- there were some good lines that came out of that. Good. We're all in agreement now. Okay. If, if you could only give an Oscar to one of these two, who would you give it to? Bradley Cooper. Okay. I feel like I agree. Like, look, Lady Gaga has time. Mm-hmm. Bradley Cooper's an old man. She'll now. win an Oscar for best original song. Oh, for sure. So she's getting her O. Yeah, she's doing uh, fine. But Bradley Cooper deserves it for best uh, supporting actor, best actor, because it was good. I mean, I don't know what's going to come out between now and then, uh, but yeah, it, all the Oscar movies have yet to appear. It'll all be December twenty fifth through thirty first. Maybe it'll get the like best popular Oscar or whatever. But it was. Oh, a I good. think I think they nixed that. They did. Yeah, thank God. 
mm, whatever. But I think he gave delivered a really good performance. That again, uh, just to restate my point, is I didn't think the guy from The Hangover from GI Joe was capable of giving. Mm. No, I agree. And there is a part where he swims around shirtless, and I'm like, all right, I can watch this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess in general, we're I feel like we're falling on different sides of the fence here. But would you recommend that people check this movie out? Yeah, I definitely would. I would say it's a good Hallmark movie and we watch in the middle of the day uh, to get your mind off of things, which is what movies are supposed to do and which Uh is what this movie does. All right. And I honestly, maybe this is just me feeling like uh, I'm I'm just trying to push back against the overwhelming love this movie has received. But Mm -hmm. for me, I'm going to land on a no, honestly. Um, I felt like it was kind of tedious. Um, It just wasn't gelling with me and my instincts mm-hmm. just for drama or for music or whatever would you recommend um, Gem and the holograms yes then we all know where your opinion is yes whatever. okay no one thing i will say though um and i brought this up on our walk home after the movie is that there is a part where lady gaga is supposed to be selling out like her her rock and roll lifestyle is over and she performs this really crappy pop song on snl and usually in movies like this, and I'm specifically talking about Begin Again, there is a pop version of a song that we're supposed to hate because it's been sold out. Because Keira Knightley wrote this beautiful folk ballad and Adam Levine turns into this crazy Maroon 5 song. And I really prefer the Maroon 5 version of it. Um, but this movie, A Star Is Born, did sell me on her song being really bad. Mm-hmm. So that is something. Like Their musical sensibilities were true to what they were trying to say. I agree 100%. Thank you. Anything else you want to say about the movie? This is longer than 10 minutes. Yep, you're right. We're done. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Love you. Stay gold. (laughs)